Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk. The world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coca Talk, episode 243. Happy New Year! 2020.2. Coca Talk is rocking the 8 bit world, keeping the tanny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Cause Coca Talk is rocking the 8 bit world. hello everybody we made it we made it happy new year we got through the intro okay good night everybody (laughs) (laughs) oh let's see we gotta most everybody's here on the panel today good night mrs calabash wherever you are Mm mm-hmm all right, let's go around the room here. First up, we have Mark O. Hello, sorry I was typing. Glad to be here. Happy New Year. All right, and I'm the second one over, your host, Mark. Next over, we have uh, Rick Euland. Howdy, y'all. All right, then Terry Stiggy. Happy Coco New Year. All right, character turn, line feed, Grant Leedy. Hey, everybody, Happy New Year. And we have Ken Waters. Happy producer New Year, everybody. The, let's see, producer of the High Game Score on Challenge. Challenge. Game on Challenge, okay. <laughs> and uh, next we have uh, Doug Bell, who's uh, just give us a thumbs up. Yep, microphone problems today, that's fine. Glad you're here. Uh, next over, Jason Reichard. Happy cool, New man. Year, etc. yes. Okay. And next line over to the left, we got D. Bruce Moore. Hello. Welcome from frigid Canada, where right now it is minus 40 outside my door. Yeah, well, you can uh, it's only it. minus 10 here. Yeah, it's already dropped two degrees since the show started. And when it's that cold, it doesn't matter if it's centigrade or Fahrenheit at that point. <laughs> it's still mm-hmm. damn cold. Minus 10 in Vancouver is pretty cold, though. <laughs> All right, so next over, the one and the only, Rick Adams. Thank you. Thank you. You're too kind. And it's minus six here. Minus six Fahrenheit, I might add. Okay. As long as oh, the, I didn't uh, know this was the weekly weather updates. As long as the natural gas don't freeze. All right, next over, Sloopy. 
Greetings and sanitations from nice and sunny 50 degrees, Maryland. <laughs> Show bring off. up the, uh, I well, bring up the weather a- map and uh, the satellite imaging while we're here. And um, well, I see, well, see your uh, facts. You're next see, door to the source of hot air. Yeah, I see everyone. I see that I'm everyone's number one friend <laughs> with all the fingers saying number one. <laughs> All right, and from down under, we have Nick Mariantes. Good day, everyone. Happy New Year. Well, well, Nick, what's the temperature in Australia? Uh, 25 degrees Celsius at the moment. That's pretty darn warm. Well, and, and it's, what, it's early and what morning. what day is it there? Yeah. Is it New Over Year's? Here it's Monday. It's Monday. Oh. That's right. Um, that's yep. about, and just for just in case Stevie's watching, twenty five degrees uh, Celsius is about uh, seventy seven degrees Fahrenheit. Just, yeah, just in case Stevie <laughs> watches this later. Whereas we must point out, negative forty centigrade is negative forty Fahrenheit. So that was the joke, Rick. That was the joke. <laughs> it took me a while to get it, and I was just wondering if I was the only one who took that long. <laughs> All right. Last week, last up, we have Alan. Howdy, howdy from 80 degrees Fahrenheit, South Central Texas. Don't worry, it's coming. <laughs> Please send more cold. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> At least our power grid stable. Oh, ouch. Ow. <laughs> Ooh, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, we're uh, used to- let's see i think um, his computer system froze from that one <laughs> oh but they, up, up there they don't use water cooling for their computers it's actually cooled by maple syrup mm. nice and thick i had some maple syrup yeah. this morning true yeah they don't they don't go by the temperature of the maple syrup they go by the uh, viscosity of the maple syrup <laughs> Yeah, it's a that's a ten that's a that's a ten W thirty uh, maple syrup we're using there. Yeah. Okay, well, let's see. What direction do we want to go in first? Oh, do we have a game? We have a game on challenge. Probably game week, on challenge. We? we have game. We have game on challenge, Duel. and we have Duel. a couple of new. Uh, uh, we have a new commercial, and we have uh, uh, <coughs> a new item from uh, D. Bruce and Rick. New collaboration. So, uh, all right, game on challenge. All right, just just so you know, I'm 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 good for about fifty minutes. So fifty minutes. So you know. I think we had to do. Or do you uh, want the collaboration to go first? Yeah, Either way, col- yeah, let's do collaboration that first. Then. Hey, well, welcome everyone to our planning meeting during the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. So let's see. I hear something about uh, Rick and I got to get out and shovel the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Happily, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, isn't okay. that sweet? No more, no more lawn mowing, too, right? That's right. Nice. No more hedge clipping. But enough about that. Okay, so um, I've got it uh, queued up. Uh, Bruce, you want to tell us about it? Howdy, well, howdy someone, cowpoke. Yeah, well, well, someone maybe someone should do it just a recap on what how the whole thing started. Is there a Rygard here who might be able to fill us in on the... The initial bit. Well, um, you know, my, going to my, Cocoa Fest back in the yeah, day. going to Cocoa Fest. Terry, Terry Steen, not to be confused with the Terry above me here, 
Terry Steen on the way to Coco Fest. What was that? that was 2019 Coco Fest. Uh, unfortunately, in somewhere in southern Ohio, uh, collided with a couch. Um, but he uh, he did eventually uh, he did eventually get a rental car and, and, and made it to Coco Fest that year, but with great delay. And then, of course, my brother Ken. But wait, uh, why was he driving through somebody's living room? Like, oh, it it wasn't a living room. It was actually fell off the back of a truck. Ooh. Yeah. So it was one of those. It was one of those highway couches, but. And then, uh, and then my brother as an act, and my brother Ken as an exercise, uh, I guess, and did some uh, machine, you know, one hundred percent machine language and basic. Uh, he went ahead and uh, made a a game where you dodge the you dodge the rogue furniture on your way to Coco Fest. And then someone wrote a song about it. Yeah, take it over, Rick. Right. Yeah. Sure. So I had, uh, wanted to write a song about uh, basically tying together a bunch, you know, uh, as many references to the color computer games as I could possibly get away with. Sort of in the, the realm of like, you know, we didn't start the fire or, uh, you know, uh, uh, the day the music died, you know, where you throw a whole bunch of references in. And so I wrote a song about it and uh, and the rest is history. So I, I can play but, that one if you uh, like. Uh, so yeah, Bruce came up with. We should. Uh, let's do the uh, let's, yeah. Let's do the original. But I mean, the original? finish the original and then the and then the, the new one. Uh, okay. Here we go. Nick Morota on ukulele. Got some time to kill. Might play a little Zaxxon. Might double, double back to play a little Temple of Rome. Dungeons, Dagroth, color baseball. But none can hold a candle to the greatest of them all. Nightmare Highway. Be my thing. 
there was the first version. Um, okay. Yeah, and then Rick, I believe Rick did a uh, live unplugged version at the most recent Coco Fest. Yep. That was fun. Uh, a command performance with uh, for Terry Steen, right? The guy who inspired mm-hmm. it all. Yep. <laughs> no, I don't have a copy of that one. No. Uh, yep. Oh, that's on. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. I wouldn't play it here because it's like three. Uh, listening to three versions of the song in a row might get a little tiresome. But yeah. people can hunt that up. Uh, they, they, they can, can hunt yeah, that up I think, find that. Didn't you change the lyrics, Rick, too? I did, yes. Mm, yeah. Only you'll slightly. Find, yeah, you'll have to find the YouTube video to find out the funny little uh, change yeah. I made to the lyrics. I'll post the link in chat. Awesome. Very good. So then after, I think it was Boxing Day or the day after or something, I was kind of twiddling my thumbs, not what, sure what to do, and I went, oh, I have an idea. And the next day it was done, and I sent it over to Rick, and he unleashed it on sus- the unsuspecting public via Facebook. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, and so it's uh, it's been since called Nightmare Hayride, I believe, and you'll see why when you, when you hear it. <laughs> Yeehaw! Got some time, time to kill, might play, play a little. That's, that's on. on. Might go back, 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 play a little. Temple of Rum. Dungeons and Ruth. Color baseball. But, but none, none can hold candles to the graces of all. Nightmare Highway. Marcus, uh, again, because I heard kind of an echo when he was speaking. Welcome to rehearsal, everyone. I have no idea why.
Got some time to kill, might play a little Zaxxon Might double back to play, play a little Temple of Dungeons and Color Baseball But nothing can hold There's an echo in it again All right. There we go. That should be back now. Okay. So the next time Rick does it live, he can do it in a, there's a variety of flavors you can choose from. I think he should choose to do it in an echo chamber. That sounded good. <laughs> and it was really funny that uh, John came in in the middle of this and it's like, what the heck is all this? Now I guess we don't have any sound I'm seeing in chat. Um, hopefully that's, I should think I turned that back on. There's now. still echo. Well, echo, but no sound. That's interesting. It's the echo, but no sound. Somebody press the reset button. 
what does if there's no sound what does the echo sound like yeah so at the moment i don't know what where this could be coming from because obs we and need to Zoom get this fixed totally before the actual show yeah what what is what is the, what is the sound of silence echoing Okay. Wait, so, so people we'll, in the chat here, because I'm still seeing it's like kind of conflicting. Are we getting? I, it sounds like you can hear us again. Are you getting echo on top of that, or is it just? Because I'm not hearing echo at all. It sounds like it's me on YouTube fine. right now. Sounds like a tree falling. <laughs> no, that's. <laughs> Rocky that's says it's good. So. Yeah, okay. okay. No echo. Right. No echo. Well, that's. Retro Check Time. Now without echo. Re Somebody wants to know when the rap version is coming out. <laughs> yeah, Retro Check Time. I think the we should just version. be safe and do the mind version. <laughs> I think the rap version is coming around the same time that Predator is the game of the week for the Game on Challenge. So next week. That could happen. <laughs> <laughs> Joking, joking. Okay. Really? Well, Rick would have to redo the vocal for that. This that was the exact same vocal, of course. Just instrumented, whatever, rearranged. Uh, yeah. The backing tracks were different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Remixed. Okay. All right. Well, um, we ready That's to do the uh, game on challenge? Was there any comments from Rick and, and Bruce? Like, what prompted you guys to, to make this new version? And uh, is there more planned? Is this going to be an annual thing now? I was bored on Boxing Day. <laughs> it just came. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah, think we can handle it annually. Uh, the reggae version. The gent version. Yeah. Rick, oh, I want reggae might, might work. Thrash metal version? Yeah. I have to think about that. <laughs> Thrash metal version. I can hear that now. Nightmare Highway. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but you know the the demonic voice, the demonic voice of Nightmare Highway. I thought it'd be a nice counterpoint to have that angelic boys choir at the end. Quite <laughs> <laughs> the contrast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's going for a real. Yeah. Let's go for the German metal version. Us hmm. Highway Nightmare. <laughs> You know, I, I know what inspired me. I've been watching the uh, uh, the, the Beatles, uh, the Let It Be. Uh, oh, the nine-hour documentary. Yeah, the nine-hour documentary. I think that's probably what inspired me. Oh. Yeah, I'm six hours through. I'm oh my gosh, I, I just uh, it, that's it's a lot. It's I haven't even gotten through the first one, but we just can we get a can you get a small anvil and just have someone bang on it then? Yeah. Hey, we have a request for a Calypso version. Mm. Is Calypso, is that... Oh, what, like the steel drums? Does that be Calypso? Yeah, yeah. I believe so. Yeah, like mm. island music style. Mm. Caribbean. In the style of Harry yeah. Belafonte. You know, Beetlejuice. Well, I want Rick yeah, to write, write a new one. I, I guess you need, you, need, you need some inspiration. Oh. Or something Looks like Rick just disappeared on us. Oh, yeah, we, we I got too, too many, yeah. uh, too many suggestions. I'm out of here. <laughs> I didn't know a song could have feature creep like this. <laughs> it looks like his head exploded there. It happens all the time. <laughs> that's a, that's a trademark of the show, you know, feature creep for the guests. Yeah, there's a lot of creeps here. 
Oh, that was a fun version. I like that. It was kind of more peppy. I liked, I liked all the, uh, the the text stuff in the middle too that you guys added in. That made it a lot more funny. So, yeah, add add the proper context. Yeah. Oh, so did you just go outside uh, outside of Winnipeg on a farm somewhere to record all those uh, cattle sounds and stuff? Oh, of course, or? yeah. Well, actually, they were heading they were just heading down my street. So. Oh, okay. Maybe I thought I thought you maybe were getting it when you're gathering your maple syrup. So. No, but I did have maple syrup this morning. The audio that I'm hearing is uh, considerably uh, less than previous. That might be a good in, thing. In quality or? Volume. <laughs> Quality's fine. It's just like. We make it up in volume. Right. Uh, okay. So it says Terry reacted to this version yet or? Or has he seen or heard it? I don't know. He may have not. Um, I don't think he's. Sure. Uh, I don't think he's on the Facebook group or anything like that. So oh. someone may need if it's on YouTube or something. Someone may need to write, reach out to him. Well, it's on uh, YouTube now, kind of. Well, kind of, but it's really echoey and it's buried in this <laughs> <Yes>. show. <laughs> he may, he may never find stream. it. He may never find it. <laughs> it's, it's got that Coco Talk dumpster fire feel to it right now on YouTube. We probably need a fresh one on there. Welcome to 2022. More technical difficulties to come. 2020.2. Well, we need someone oh. now to do a, a new video for it, but uh, with, you know, tumbleweeds and stuff like that. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, all I did was oh. uh, I just built a slideshow with all of the Nightmare Highway uh, uh, pictures we had in, uh, that was on the drive. I yeah, just that's made a looping right. uh, slideshow out of it. Oh, we need that old cowboy game with the wagon in the middle and the. Actually, Terry Steen wrote one of those. That's one of the games he wrote for the Coco for TND. So that would be perfect. We can actually right use in. his own game for it. Ooh, that would be sweet. That would be sweet. Ooh. Surprise him with that. Shh. Don't, don't listen to that just a few moments ago, Terry. So you'll be surprised. So, Shh. Sloopy, well, when, when Sloopy does the. Uh, the chapters for this, but the don't watch this Terry part. <laughs> Great. Reverse psychology. I'll call this section shh, don't tell no. Terry. Noted. Perfect. Alert. Perfect. Yeah. Duly noted. So, Rick, what, what's your next song? I have absolutely no idea. That's kind of a long title, but. <laughs> but... <laughs> I, think, I think the Atari game we were referring to looks like was maybe Outlaw, according to. Can can make it. Yeah, I think uh, Terry's version is called Gunfighter Gunfighter, if I remember. I think ah. It's on my site too. Yeah, you should know then. Yeah, I did I did it fairly recently, like in the last year or so, because it was one that was hidden away in one of the TND tapes I hadn't tried yet. So it's a two-player only game with a little bit of four-voice music in it. So that's oh, nice. appropriate. Maybe we have to give him to redo it with the Nightmare Highway theme if he still has the source. So we'll have to reach out to Terry there first. He's going to have to see it and then be get him inspired to do a, a modification to his original game. Okay. Right. So Grant, are you on standby? What? Grant is getting a little hanky. Uh, Grant is currently has his camera off and muted. Okay. We'll keep on rolling. So uh, are we, uh, uh, anything else to say on the, Nightmare Highway. I think uh, we're done. Are we done? Well, you can you can uh, 
I think the website's up there for Nightmare Highway. If anybody wants to go get it, I think, what is it? It's uh, kenscococorner.itch.io, I believe. I think. Yeah, Ken, Ken posted the link, yeah. So. Yeah, okay, good. Oh, yeah, in right. that case, I think we can probably go on to the, the Game On Challenge. Okay, let me go throw another log on the fire here. High score challenge. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the results of the Coco Talk the right Game one. On Challenge of the Week for the two weeks over Christmas. During yes. those two weeks, we played two games. We played Dragon Slayer and Thexter. There were a total of 12 unique players, so first we'll look at Dragon Slayer. Of which we had nine players. We had Mr. Dave 6309 with 200. Canadian Retro Things 1300. Kieran 1500. Mark B 1900. Jim Rye 4100. Rich N 5200. Sloopy Malibu 13,900. Brian Walsh 14,000. And the number one score this week for this game is Buck Owens with 28,600. So thanks to everybody that played this game. So now it is time to take a look at the Thexter scores. And for this game, we also had nine players. We had Mr. Dave 6309 with 61,200. Rich N, 80,000. Canadian Retro Things, 107,400. Mark B, 132,500. Sloopy Malibu, 145,200. Tasman, 153,100. L. Curtis Boyle, 158,800. Buck Owens, 170,400. And the number one score for this game was... Ericomont with 612,100. Thanks to everyone that took time out of their holiday schedules to play games with us this last two weeks. Coco, Coco Talk, Talk salutes, salutes Buck, Buck Owens! Owens. Yeah! Hey, you know what's really amazing? I was in the top ten! <laughs> With nine so players, that's impressive. <laughs> it, was a, it was a slow week. It was. It was over Christmas, so I wasn't expecting yeah. a huge turnout for the games. But um, Yeah, I didn't get a chance to play uh, Dragon, so I was planning on it, and then uh, my year-end stuff for work here took a bit longer than I was expecting, so I didn't get a chance. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of time to play either, but um, yeah, got in a couple of games. So uh, yeah, so let me see here. I got some... Oh. I don't have permission to share my screen right now. All right, go for it. Okay. And let's see here. We've got some footage here from uh, Buck Owens of Dragon Slayer. So this was a uh, game of just picking up items and moving them to the spots you needed to use them. So I don't know. Did anybody have any tips or tricks about this game? Uh, make a map <laughs> so you know where you're yeah. going. 
because you have to pick up certain items in specific orders to, in order to you know get to certain parts of the maze. And of course, there's 10 different levels to go through each with 16 screens. So you have to map out each one separately, but you have to like, you know, get planks from certain spots. And if you use a plank on a little side jaunt when you needed to get across to get another plank, you might have gone like lock yourself out. You have to literally kill yourself to to get back and, and you know get back on track again. So a uh, fair bit different numbers of types of objects too. It's 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 kind of nice that it's got a lot of variety to a lot of replayability. There's the Tom Mix uh, TM uh, hidden away in the first level there. Um, it's not really a points game per se. I mean, there's treasures and stuff to get, but I mean, picking up items and building like bridges and, and growing vines, et cetera, doesn't get you points. So uh, there's a lot of exploring and, you know, memorizing the, the maze and the map, et cetera. So it's definitely one of those ones you want to make a map for. It'd be nice be if you'd be able to carry more than one thing at a time. Well, that's part of the game though. That's part of the puzzle element. I think Sloopy can attest to this. Like he, he really didn't like the game at first and he kind of grew on him yeah. after a bit. Uh, because of the puzzle element of it, you have to kind of solve, like, I have to do it this in a certain order to get this one item in the right spot. Sweepy, you might yeah. want to expand on that. Yeah, if you look at it as a uh, platformer, it's a terrible game. But if you look at it as a puzzle game, it's much more interesting. I mean, it, they could have put things closer together. And I realized after playing a while, they did. If you need something for a certain puzzle, usually it's only like two, three screens away or it could be on the other side of another puzzle. But for the, for the most part, yeah, it's, it's for a platformer, it's terrible. But for a puzzle game, it's quite good. And as you will uh, hear about when the uh, live uh, section comes up. Now, the one thing I do, I would complain about, about this. I mean, I, I'm kind of used to the fact it was a puzzle platformer, not just a platformer. Um, but the controls are a little bit, wonky <laughs> i guess um yeah they, they're continuous moving yeah they are certainly yeah. interesting so to speak i died but, a lot falling off ladders <laughs> yeah i wish there was a uh, the only thing that i the only real control change that i would change is <clears throat> a uh at first the the constantly moving until you change direction or something stops you is like frustrating but once you get used to it it actually becomes a greater help than hindrance. The only real change that I would have been interested in is something where it makes it go slower. Um, if you like a push, bu push a button or something. Yeah. The other thing they could have maybe done was not have fall damage. I mean, that might've made it too yeah. easy. I'm not sure, but that was, as, as Ken mentioned, it's, it's pretty frustrating, you know, when you're, you know, especially when you're switching screens and stuff and you just suddenly jump off something that's a little too high and then you're just dead. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, that was one of the biggest problems I had, especially when you go from one screen to the next and, and it's like, you're trying to get to the, the bottom. But I think that if you had a slow mode, that would help it so that you don't do that. Or yeah, like hold down the joystick right. button or it would have your speed or something. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So good, Mark. Or the uh, left and right speed proportional to how far over you push the joystick. Yeah, like I've chosen, you know, since we have analog joysticks, might as well take advantage of them. Yeah, well, it works well for keyboard mode, though. True. Yeah. Unless you held on shift or something to have yeah. the speed there. Yeah, shift and arrow would walk you slower or something like that. I mean, or you did holding have, down. You did have yeah, the one, two, and three key to adjust your speed. Hmm. Yeah, there's a couple different ways you can do it, but it definitely could be improved upon, I guess, in, in that respect. 
Also got some comments here from uh, Buck Owens himself here. Uh, first one was, yeah, freaking falling off ropes and ladders. <laughs> and, and he goes, the dark rooms are just mazes, nothing to do or grabbing them. If they allowed a flashlight plus one item, then you could have done some of the puzzles in there. Uh, level seven is all dark except two rooms, the start and the finish. Boring. I never got that far, so I, even, even in the heyday, I never got that far, so I never saw that. And I have no idea if this has a grand finale. I do know somebody had popped into Discord and he'd patch it because apparently one the version that was up on the archive originally, level 10 didn't work. You couldn't solve it. You couldn't win the game. And he patched it. So obviously he's won it, but I, I don't even know what happens when you win the game. Does it give you a little message or some animation or something? I have no idea. Anybody here on the panel ever won this game? Nope. I, I think I've heard about it having some kind of animation or graphic, but I've never seen it. I do remember that coming up a couple of years ago, but my recollection is foggy at this moment. Is there when an I, actual dragon? When I yeah, finish it, question. I'll let you know. <laughs> You're planning on finishing it, Sloopy? Yeah, I plan on, on playing it some more. I was actually going to uh, stream it uh, this morning on my own stream, but uh, unfortunately my vision got a bit fuzzy, so I wasn't able to do it. Well, that's... Uh... Well, not that your vision got fuzzy, but it's great to hear that you uh, want to continue playing the game. That's what we want from the uh, Game on Challenges. Yeah, there's a couple games that I've played even after um, we've had it. We've had a game. Yeah, it's also too bad. Uh, some years ago, Nick, maybe you can uh, answer as to how long ago. I don't remember how long ago, but there was actually a person working on a Coco 3 port of this with enhanced graphics, and he actually had a few screenshots up and it's going to be a decade ago or something like that. But unfortunately, the project kind of got dropped, so never got completed. But that would have been really cool to see. Although with the Coco 3 version, I mean, what would it be? Just better sound and better graphics? I like. I like. Yeah, the I graphics like the... were very much enhanced uh, color-wise, yeah. et cetera. So it, it okay. looked pretty nice. Um, like I said, there was a few screenshots a person had put up about it. I, I don't know if he was planning on expanding it or not. He, I guess he could have, but... Obviously, the screen could be wider. I don't know if you had, I can't remember if you had wider tiles or if you just had more of the, or just, you know, had blackboard or something. I'm not sure what he did there. I can't remember. Right. It does look kind of like the poop emoji running around, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Who, uh, who's actually playing this? This is Buck Owens. Oh, because he's definitely not going for a high score. <laughs> <laughs> is this the one where he actually got up to level six or seven? Um, I don't know. It's the one he did yesterday. Let's see. Um, I fast forward and show some of the more complex maze stuff there. Screens I've never seen. <laughs> so here he is an hour and 40 minutes into the uh, stream. Yeah, it does look like his high score run. Yeah. Yeah, he posted this yesterday, so. I'd love to see Erico's. I mean, he got the 600,000 plus or something. Did he win it? That was on Thexter. Oh, okay. Sorry. Shoot. Buck Owens won the um, Dragon Slayer. Yep. Actually, Buck says uh, you think he'll be fit playing this one to finish too. So hopefully he can record that on video. We can actually do a follow-up in the future here and kind of show how the game ends. Yeah, I also want to make a shout out to uh, Buck for using uh, my uh, creative use of um, expletives here. Waffles, grapes, <laughs> flatjacks. 
<laughs> yeah, I didn't realize House of Pancakes was a sponsor for this, but okay. <laughs> no, it's. I'll explain on my show the details on that. We didn't want another Curtis Boyle incident, did we? No, sorry. <laughs> is, is it the International House of Pancakes? No, Waffle House. Oh, ah, Waffle House to you too, buddy. Hey, 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 hey. Watch your mouth. There are children present. <laughs> so I think I think that's about all we can say in Fam Slayer or Fam Slayer, Dragon Slayer. Um, yeah. It was, it was a really good game. I remember I actually bought this one at Rainbow Fest right from Tom Mix himself uh, at the show. And um, like you got replayability out of this because it's such an involved game and so many levels. There's 160 screens to go through in total. And you have to go back and forth between them all the time. So you're kind of having to you know, figure your way through. So it definitely had a lot of replayability out of it. But uh, so I don't really have anything levels. more to add at this point. Go ahead. There's 10 levels? Yeah. So you got a way to go, Slippy. Eh, I got to five, so. Oh, yeah. yeah it says right. you got up to seven or eight, so. Yep. Uh, you'll hang on. Couldn't you use the plank to get rid of the spider? No. Just just the bug spray. It's yeah. an awfully big spider. I don't know if the plank would just probably shatter on him or something. No, it'll take it away from you and smack you around with it. I mean, he does have eight legs. Yeah. And I like how some of the objects you actually have to, have to do things with, like a bucket, You most of the time you pick it up, it's empty. So you have to go find water and fill it first before you can you know, grow a like, vine or something. I like right there, the uh, bug sprays on the other side of the bug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I call that cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, you can see it, but you can't do anything about it. <laughs> and the spider's like, ha ha. Ha ha ha. Well, let's see, a bucket of water could take care of the spider. I don't Unless know. That, that spider's big enough. I don't think it'll fit in the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> ah, bucket. That's probably an Atalantean swimming spider or something with your luck. So. No, not bucket. Buck Owens. Wah, wah. <laughs> so anybody else, any further comments on Dragon Sir? Should we switch over to Thexter and see if there's any comments, tips, tricks on that one? I had this one back in the day, um, but um, I enjoyed it. I didn't get a chance to play it this week, but um, it's a favorite, but I don't think I've ever made it past level two. So, <laughs> but I have it somewhere around here. All right. Well, or, okay, go ahead. No, I wasn't going to say anything. I was going to say, well, if there's nothing else, we can switch over to Thaxter. Sounds good to me. Okay, well, I don't have any video for Thexter, so we'll just have to talk. <laughs> well, we can put Sloopy. Sloopy oh, I'm good. Sure's got some uh, Okay, Sloopy, if you want to throw up some uh, Thexter video, we can have that uh, up while we're talking. All righty. Let's see here. Just to put you on the spot. Uh, yeah, that's all right. Well, everything else is unrehearsed, so why would this be any different? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, can you throw in some technical difficulties, too, while you're at it? I've got plenty of them. What the fluff? <laughs> Oof. Well, that um, this is the this is the version of Thexter that looks just like uh, uh, Dragon Slayer. <laughs> yeah, I had them. Set I can up I can to, hold up the box. I had them set up for my section of the show, and uh, and I've messed it all up for you. 
well, no, I had them set up for my section of the show and didn't realize that I'd put two dragon slayers instead of one Thexter, one dragon slayer. Uh-huh. I guess that's probably should tell you everything you need to know about Thexter. <laughs> now, right. Thexter's a mixed bag for me. This, this would be my quick yeah. little review of it. The controls are fine. Um, you do die too quickly, um, even with shields and stuff on. The graphics on the Coco version are quite good. Um, unfortunately, they're limited. That doesn't have all the levels. It doesn't have some of the intro, outro stuff, etc. Um, it just basically repeats with you know a faster, more aliens to kill type thing or, or kill you in most cases. Um, but I think the biggest reason that it was so limited is I actually had to cram this onto a 16K ROM card. They didn't even use the 32K ROM that was available. One of the things they designed in the Coco 3 was that the ROM cartridge slot can handle up to a 32K ROM. And of course, then we had some later games like Predator and Robocop that actually added MMU hardware to go past that. But for some reason, they limited Texture to 16K, and that was a huge mistake. And that's one of the reasons the Coco version is so restricted compared to some of the other versions. Best yet, they could have made it on disc like just about everybody else did. And then you could have had like 150K for graphics and all the different levels. So it's it's like a subset of the actual quote-unquote Texture. And that's probably the biggest disappointment for me. Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't like this one. I never have. I mean, I have it, but I, I hadn't touched it in years. I pulled out the cartridge and I went, "Yeah, I, yeah, I remember. I don't really care for this." And it just, yeah, the, like you could, you can't pick where you shoot. It just shoots wherever, and you, yeah, you die quickly. I just, uh, not my thing. Yeah, the Coco version's only got five levels. Now, one thing I did notice, um, actually, when when Nick Marinis and I were kind of going through this a while ago. Um, you know, compared with other versions that were out. It, it's funny that the various versions for like the PC and Atari and the Amiga, et cetera, actually have slightly different graphics for some of the monsters. Like they didn't use common graphics between them, although they very well could have. The actual effects of their player itself is pretty well identical between all the different platforms. But for some reason, there's a bit of originality to each platform as to how some of the monsters are represented. And I'm not quite sure why they did that. Was that just to give each platform a slightly unique flavor? But uh, but yeah, I agree with you, Jason, on on the uh, the firing, the fact that it doesn't aim, and sometimes you're getting swarmed by things, and it's firing off in random directions, not where you would like to shoot, and that's definitely annoying. <laughs> and also on later levels, like as I, I during the stream here, I actually did the OS nine version where you can kind of cheat and tell to start at different levels. I didn't include that for scores or anything, but I just wanted to see what the later levels look like. There's some of them <clears throat> where you have to blast through the walls, and it's such a pixel perfect hit with that stupid auto aim that doesn't work properly, that it takes an incredibly long time to finally blast through a wall so you can get on the next level. Like I think I spent literally 10 or 15 minutes trying to get one single corridor shot out so I can complete the level. And that that's just bad design. Well, I never got that far, but I, I haven't played Dexter on any other systems. So, um, I mean, it's not my favorite game, but I didn't hate it as much as some people. I think it's sort of a golden rule of uh, of gaming that if you're cheating and the game is still uh, a, a slog to get through, something <laughs> something is not good. <laughs> yep. I was going to ask you actually, both since you're a professional gamer, unlike the rest of us here, um, am, have you yes. played Dexter on any other platforms? Uh, I think that I had to go with it once in the DOS version, and I was just as unimpressed with it. I mean, to me, this is just sort of a, a hallmark. I mean, what what year did this come out? Is this 1991, something like that? No, 80, 88 for the Coco version. I think the other ones were like 85, 86, 87, somewhere. Okay. 
it's just sort of indicative of the different paths of platforming that were taken in that late 80s period between what was going on in the console world and what was going on. Uh, because this also got uh, computer releases on, I think, the MSX and some of the Japanese computers, too. Um, and uh, it's just a totally sort of different game than what you found, you know, on the consoles at the time. Um, and uh, I, I've always found this one to be, like people have said, sort of difficult to, not necessarily difficult to control, but the, 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 the shooting mechanic is just weird. It's just weird, and, and I don't like it. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I do believe this is originally a uh, Japanese game, yeah, it is. is it not? Yeah, yeah, I it's think it is. Six. Right. Well, the the, uh, the the Coco cartridge has got a uh, copyright date on it of 1987. Yeah, yeah but so no, I don't no, know I if that what which copyright that is, but that's just on the cartridge. That's on the Coco version. Well, I think yeah, it came out in like... 85. 85. Okay. Go ahead, Rick. I, I was just going to say what I didn't like is if you're looking for a texture, it's not texture, and if you're just looking for a game to play on your Coco. It's not really that good to me. I mean, if if this was concessions made to play a game that I really wanted to play on the Coco, it would be fine. <laughs> but just as as its own game, I never liked it. I I spent a lot of money for it back when I didn't have money to spend on Coco games, and I was really disappointed in the dang thing. Yeah. I mean, for me, when I first got it way back at, in, in the day, I actually did like it for the first little bit, and Till I found out how repetitive and how badly the, the the shooting mechanic worked. Like it was kind of fun flying around and transforming. It was kind of new a new thing at the time. Um, it's definitely unique. You you got to give it that. Yeah, and it was a huge seller. I mean, this is one of the first games ever that sold half a million copies across platforms. In fact, they had that emblazoned on the box. You know, over five hundred thousand copies sold. So it wasn't a failure in the market or anything. But uh, I wonder how said, many John, of those I think copies it just... were sold on the MSX in Japan. Yeah, I'd say that's what. That's where you think the majority on. are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe it's a cultural difference. Could be. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, um, good. Um, Curtis, you were saying that the uh, when uh, it was converted to OS nine, that the code was very much. You could tell it was originally um six eight oh nine. Yeah. So that would make sense because in Japan the six eight oh nine is a popular um was a popular cpu back in the day yeah the fujitsu fm7 fm77 etc it was nine was popular in japan too i mean yeah. had their own uh, office in japan specifically so the original may have been 6809 code originally yeah i, I know when alan was doing the port because bill and noble had just done the shanghai port and then alan you know kind of helped tidy it up a little bit but when Alan was doing this one, he said the code itself looked like it was designed for OS9. Like there was software interrupt calls and stuff in there for internal things that were set up eerily like OS9 does its own system calls. It looks like it was just translated. They just you know put in the code to handle the interrupts. So it looks like it was actually because he, he said this was one of the easiest ports he he did, and he he did a you know a couple like you know help with Shanghai and a few other things too where he was you know porting stuff over from RS DOS disk extended basic to to OS9. And he said this one he was. The first draft of this was done in like a couple of weeks from, you know, raw disassembly right to having it running. I mean, as an OS9 game, it's it's one of the better ones as far as an arcade 
game in OS 9 type thing. And it's kind of nice of being able to multitask. So if you do get bored with it, you can flip over to play Shanghai for a bit and then pick up where you left off. But um, as a, as a disc basic game or a cartridge game, it's, it looks visually nice at first. And when you first play it, if you've never played it before, it's, it's kind of fun, but then it starts getting irritating pretty quick with the, <laughs> the firing mechanic and then the difficulty of trying to you know aim things and stuff and getting well, incinerated by robots all the time. I have to say the firing mechanic is the thing that uh, made me the most annoyed, but I guess I haven't played it enough to get as jaded against it as everybody, but. Yeah. Oh, I have to go back to my memories. Like I said, when I first bought it for the first week, maybe I did like it. I got to explore the levels and, you know, kind of get through it. Then you find out they repeat. And then you also find out how difficult the later levels are, not because the game is getting more difficult. It's getting because you have to so closely quote unquote aim as best as you can yeah. to try to get rid of some of the blocks to you know unblock a wall to get to the next level and then if that's taking you minutes and minutes just to do that i mean i already had the aliens dead and, and then you still just trying to pop this stupid wall and you can't aim it quite properly that's as john said that's just bad design and you know i don't, I don't know why they would have accepted that in japan that's why i was wondering if some other people on the panel have played some of the other you know other platform versions of it to see if that was maybe a unique issue with the cocoa controls or is that just universal across all the platforms guess nobody else has played it anywhere else or <laughs> <laughs> not in, in a long time like john you said you played possibly the dos version but yeah and i i mean i i played it briefly it wasn't a yeah. it wasn't I, a in-depth thing i played it on something I think it played it on a PC or something, but I don't remember. This is 30 years ago, but I, I yeah. definitely remember I bought it for the cocoa and then I didn't like it on the cocoa. It just wasn't. Speaking of, of the... MSX has uh, Mr. Dave 6309 played this on MSX. Cause he's a very big uh, MSX person. He's in chat so he can let us know. Yeah. Well, I've got a couple MSXs. I'll have to give them a, Try. I got. Yeah, I'd be really interested to work. See, <laughs> I'd be really interested hearing from people like you know how the Coco compare. I, we already know the Coco version is a lot shorter; doesn't have all the levels, etc. But I would really interesting on the gameplay aspects of it, how it compares with some of the others. Well, but I, well. I, honestly, this is one of those places where Tandy got cheap again. I think, and you know, restricting it to the 16K ROM was a huge mistake. I mean, at least go for the 32. You can at least try to put some of the levels and maybe even some of the intermissions in. Uh, kind of a selling mistake too if it was such a big selling game on other platforms yeah like why would you purposely keep out on it, it. Yeah. yeah like the tandy 1000 version has all the levels and you know it also uses three voice music etc too so yeah i think that um what i've noticed is is that uh with tandy they seem to treat uh anything that they didn't originally source and make as a B title, no matter what its source was, if it was originally an A title for other systems, they still is. If it wasn't theirs, and they seem to treat it as a B title, and that it seems to be a big problem with this is that it should have been treated as an as an A list title and given its due uh, instead of being given the uh, rush and uh, right. and the, the the bums rush, so to speak in in its uh entirety mm -hmm. the old nothing can be faster than a mustang rule right yeah 
I do well, think Tandy game. did improve that a little bit later on, though. Like, this is one of the earlier releases. Yeah. But later on, when they did, like, Rampage, that used 32K. Obviously, Robocop, they even let them add extra MMU hardware to get the rest of the levels in. So it's like a 64K game or 128. I can't remember which one that is. Yeah, because uh, uh, yeah, uh, I was I was reading through some of the history, and they, it was like when the, the 16B came out and it was, like, released for five months, they were like, oh, we should have supported third-party uh, uh, developers more than we did. And this was like right before that, if I, if I understand the timeline correctly. So this is one of the things that unfortunately were in the earlier parts where they didn't really want ever, anything else to supersede their, their own offerings. Yeah. If you, if you understand what I'm saying there. Yeah, I, I think Tandy near near the end, like a year or two after this, it started realizing that, as you said, the A-list titles you have to treat as A-list. And I think yeah, they did what, start improving it where they did expand you know, the hardware. Okay, you can use the full 32K. We'll pay the extra yeah. 50 cents a chip or whatever it was back then. The yeah, bulk. that's, that's what I'm saying. Because it was like, I think like 87 was about, 86, 87 is when the, uh, when the 16B was, uh, repl- was released. And so it was probably like 87 when they finally came to the realization that they'll do better with helping third parties as opposed to not. So, all right. Should I start my section now? All right. Well, let's just, since you've got the video going, let's uh, jump right into how the uh, live stream went. Well, as we were discussing, uh, this wasn't a particularly popular game. I mean, we had uh, up to four people playing. Um, special shout out to uh, Mikey for uh, coming and joining us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was not not up there. I mean, a lot of people came by, stopped by, said hi, and said, "Yeah, this isn't exactly my favorite game." So we didn't get a lot of players on this. Um, as I said on my show, I've come up with a new uh, rating system, and and uh, it's a, a number out of it's one out of how many for uh, rating games. And uh, this one originally I put it at as as in my top uh, hundred thousand games. And uh, after playing a little, I I uh, brought that back a little bit to one of my top fifty thousand games. So, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was a bit of a challenge, so to speak, and uh, let's speak of it no more. Okay, well, then let's move on to Dragon Slayer. Exactly. <laughs> now, this, it was, as we were just discussing, as a platformer, no, it's, it wasn't very popular, but as a puzzle game, yes. We had actually up to four people playing at once. Um, I'm guessing with the holidays and such that, People were quite a bit busy, but uh, yes, it was a quite quite an interesting game, and uh, we had uh, actually uh, uh, I really got into this, and we had our longest uh, stream so far at uh, a little over six hours. Because yeah, I know it's almost a regular episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As you can see, I was starting to go in, get into it, and and kept going, and uh, there was one or two people still still watching so i was figured why not <laughs> and eventually i was able to get to to uh, to the fourth level in it um other people uh on the show were able to get to the second and uh third um 
My favorite part, Slippy, watching it was actually because at the beginning you rated it right with Vexter. You said this is in your top hundred thousand games, yeah. kind of being sarcastic. And then yeah. by the end of the stream, you're you're you kept pumping yeah. it up. <laughs> I think a big part of that is like I was saying that I was thinking that it was like an action platformer, and it is not. It is not an action platformer at all. Um, I was thinking it was more like a uh, a dungeon crawl game, sort of like uh, Temple of Abshai or something like that, but it's not it's actually a puzzle game so and i think that when you look at games through the light to which they were made it can change a lot about them and if you're looking for a action game then you expect an action game and anything but an action game is not going to be a quote-unquote good game and this is definitely not an action game this is a puzzle game if you're looking for a puzzle game you're not going to realize that this is actually a puzzle game to start with, which makes it deceptive like that. But it also makes it a good because it's not a a typical puzzle puzzle game like um, uh, Photon is a straight up puzzle game. It looks like a puzzle game, acts like a puzzle game. So you so you know right away. Um, and there's other examples of this also. But obviously here it's not as uh, evident, but. If you take it into the light that it was made, it is a very good game. Yeah, I would, I would call it a puzzle game with, you know, action elements, I guess, because there is yeah. you know, some of the real time running around and stuff. But uh, yeah, you're right. Also, but, I yeah, just want to make one quick comment here. Mark Siegel's actually in the chat talking about the Fexter cartridge, and he said that uh, Tandy had nothing to do with specifying the 16K. <laughs> um, it was presented to them as is, complete, and that uh, Tandy didn't even make the ROMs for it, I guess. Ah, their company did on their own so ah so we that's have to rather interesting cussing. so we have to start cussing at other people too yeah and <laughs> i see that ken can make it says that you look like the fry guy from the mcdonald's commercials in this game um so either yeah. the poop emoji or the fry guys uh no 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 neither one uh someone else mentioned in the uh in the comments the uh perfect explanation it is the hat from the devo <laughs> Then and he should it, have a whip. And it's very fitting because you want to whip this game. <laughs> <laughs> but as I was saying earlier, also, uh, um, obviously, we're not we're not a um, a um, show for children, but we try to be try to be as family friend, friendly as possible. And with games like Thexter and puzzle games that can be frustrating, we are not. Uh, we still need our expletives, so. Um, in my own personal life, I use waffles and pancakes for, for high curses and low curses. And obviously, uh, other people are picking up on that and, uh, using it also. So I want to th say thank you because, wow, I started a, uh, a trend, but, uh, so yeah, what, this, what is the ultimate quote unquote curse using this, this language is like croissant or something. I, I don't know what, well, what, what to reserve from when I'm really, really frustrated. Te technically. The whole pancakes would be like saying poop in the expletive form. And mm. then waffles would be the, the high, uh, as, as, as the, uh, as 1983 taught us is the F dash 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 word. Okay. You could probably work so, crepe into there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> ah, you crepe. crepe, yeah, crepe, uh, <laughs> croissants, uh, any bread pro, uh, products. 
But what, what about but, blueberry pancakes? Sure. But when you add hey. the maple syrup to it, chocolate chip yeah. pancakes. Yeah. Ah, blueberry waffles. <laughs> we're we're free, feature creeping your language there, uh, Sloopy. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. We, we, we're gonna have we're gonna need we're gonna need you to uh, make a spreadsheet for all this. <laughs> okay. We can get full, away with uh, yeah, seven full, breakfast foods, right? Yeah, a full a full PowerPoint presentation for next week. Yeah, and then send that straight to uh, Curtis. Yeah, that's. I think that I think that'll be uh, that'll be uh, in the same. Uh, amount of work that I put into the Thexter how to install it on RS DOS video. <laughs> well, well, this would all make sense to, um, um, in Canada because I mean, Can Canadians are, are generally polite. So if you say pancakes with syrup or pancakes with maple syrup, it, it would, it would be an emphatic form of that curse word. So therefore <laughs> the Canada Canadians are actually using maple syrup as their, uh, their modifiers. So, I guess we're not allowed to say uh, maple syrup uh, when, when they're talking about maple syrup, they're actually talking disparagingly about other people. They're just being polite about it. Don't give away our secrets. Yeah. Oh, some comments in chat too. Mark yeah. Siegel suggested buckwheat would be another one you could add. Sixie says sugar and lemon is the only proper pancake. It's got to be a UK thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dave Veery says, don't talk maple in vain. <laughs> <laughs> See what you've done. Uh, oh pancakes and, <laughs> and thank you to our new sponsor ihop waffle yeah. house <laughs> uh, ihop is too uh, highbrow yeah. for these people <laughs> besides the waffle house is a valid test of weather right welcome yeah. our new sponsor store brand waffle mix yeah when i first heard about uh heard about uh Waffle House being used for weather back like 15, 20 years ago, I was like, holy cow. <laughs> and I was like, what do they do in areas that don't have Waffle Houses? <laughs> we just don't know. <laughs> now, Sloopy, I, I have a question. You, oh, go ahead. And I guess you just get an omelet, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Egg McMuffin, man. Um, oh. So my question, Sloopy, you, you're, you've talked before about doing a, a more friendly time once a month for our European uh, viewers, because, of course, it's yes. way early in the morning for them. Do you have a plan yet as to when the first episode of that is happening? Um, it will be. I, I've already discussed it with a few people. It's going to be starting uh, this month. Uh, I'm probably going to do it around the middle of the month. I'm going to... Um, get together with uh, a bunch of people. If anyone wants to send me suggestions, um, they can. Um, but I was thinking uh, somewhere around uh, the second or third week, <clears throat> excuse me, of the month, which ten tentatively would be like the 19th of January. And uh, I would start around 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern time, which would be about 7 p.m., on the eastern side of uh, the uh, of the pond, well, well, you people know what you're talking about uh, when it's time. I'm I don't remember times exactly off the top of my head, but like uh, yeah, I think there's six uh, five or six hours ahead, yeah. depending depending where yeah. you're too. So yeah, um, uh, the Netherlands is six hours ahead of us, and uh, so I was thinking uh, starting at seven o'clock there, which would be six o'clock in in the uk if i re remember my 
my European times. Um, and that'd be between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. here yeah. in, in North America, right? Well, it'd depending be about, on which coast room. Yeah. You need to stick uh, with the standard time for the show, which is Florida times, Loopy. Everything's in yeah, Florida time. All he, right. The, Curtis is the one who's time. confusing me. I always go, <laughs> in America, there's only one time zone. Oh, right Kurt, Curtis is Florida, mi- Florida minus one. Oh, so he doesn't even know. Or what minus time, real two, time depending is. on what time of the year it is, because we don't do right. daylight saving. Exactly. Yeah, so he doesn't know what real time is. Um, no, we do real but, time here. You guys haven't caught up yet. No, real time is the West Coast. Come on. Uh, no, <laughs> the the East Coast is the right coast. Notice it's right on the map. You look, it's on the right. Right. Yeah, coast. but the West Coast is the best coast. Unless you're you looking at the map out that from daylight Australia. saving sucks and you should cancel it. Just you can get not, back to me then. Yeah. Can daylight savings only, time does suck. I, I, I think it should be abolished, but uh, we're hopefully going to be doing that in BC. So then it's going to get really confusing for us because mm. we'll be changed. We won't change, but everything below us will. Well, a fair number of states are looking at it too. I mean, there was been yeah. you know votes in California, et cetera. Though nothing's actually happened yet, but I think quite a few states. Have I think California's yeah. been talking about it since about 1988 or something. I think they've been they talking about it since they put it in, but yeah. And BC's BC's been talking about. Uh, stopping it as soon as california and uh, washington and everything does but yeah from from what i understand uh, there are certain areas in uh, indiana that don't even do the uh daylight savings time yep arizona doesn't hawaii doesn't i, yeah. I think at one time indiana didn't do it then they did do it i'm not sure where it is now but there was a long time they didn't do it, it used then to when be they- county by county yeah, and then when they re, when, then they, when they made daylight savings time longer, then they started to do it, and it's just a mess. And uh, yeah, and now getting back to the game and off yes, the time please. tangent. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what a time sink! But yes, um, and to rate to rate this game, I would say it's in my top two hundred uh, favorite games. Wow, that's a big improvement for the one one top one hundred. I want to see this spreadsheet. Yeah. And you have a spreadsheet of your like top one hundred thousand games? Uh, no, because uh, we're still working on getting a um, getting a uh, um, ruling for Nightmare Highway, and that's been holding the whole thing up. <laughs> and just Blame it on Nightmare Highway. Yeah, I keep Sloopy. Where does it rate for puzzle games for you? Just it's, puzzle games. It's just a general. There yeah, is but no specific, it doesn't break down into. Oh, you don't have a breakdown of, of individuals. Come on, get no, on that. No, that, that. That would just be silly. <laughs> I'm too busy sitting on the uh, sofa on Nightmare Highway because it's enjoyable to sit in the middle of the road and watch cars well, come to you. Yep. Sloopy, if I narrow it down for you, as, as far as the puzzle games you've tried in the Coco, because the Coco is a newer platform to you, where would you rank it in puzzle games on the Coco one and two? Um, honestly, I haven't played a lot of puzzle games on the. Uh, on the cocoa, but it would probably be in my top five because I mean I can't really think of a whole lot of other puzzle games off the top of my head. Like I don't know, have you so. played with stuff like Sokoban and Tube Frenzy and you know that kind of stuff? Yeah, I haven't really played any of those. Okay. So, but yeah, it's. Uh, I mean the not the the numbers don't really matter. It's more of a relative term of whether you like it or not. Without saying things are bad, it's trying to put a positive spin on everything. Because I didn't want to say Thexter sucks, but we all but know, we're sucks, all yeah. we're all thinking it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so what you're, you're planning you're... the middle of the month for the 
the European friendly yep. one. Are you going to be doing both versions that week, or are you switching yes. it completely over? Okay. No, we'll 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 do both. Uh, I'll do at one o'clock. I'll do the uh, thing. I'll do the. Uh, um, I'll do the uh, afternoon matinee, and then and the the afternoon matinee will be on Wednesday, and then the regular show will be on Thursday. Okay, and then one last question for both you and Ken: Are you guys mm-hmm. going to coordinate uh, what the game will be that week? So it's something that was you know common to the Dragon, or is that even an issue at this point because everybody has emulators? No, well, I, we never really discussed that, but in my opinion. Um, it would be best not to do that because the I, the whole idea of the game on challenge is to get people to play new I mean, and different games. Yeah. So limiting you to games that they've already played kind of defeats the purpose. Good point. But mm-hmm. Ken, I don't know your opinion on it. You're the one no, actually I agree. the game. So. And if you want, if you want a suggestion for the first game, um, color scripts, it seems to be a very popular game. Okay, well, I'll take that into uh, consideration. <laughs> that Telerator one twenty eight. That, that one never gets old. We fax. Oh, jeez. So anyway, discussing the next game here. I think uh, Ken, you should <laughs> yes, take yes, over and please. get us back on the rails. Okay, well, um, let's see here. See if anybody knows this game. Junior's Revenge. Yes, it is. This is the original Coco 1 and 2 1, too, not the This Cocoa is Fever. the original Coco 1 2 1. I actually tried both versions, and I think this one's a little bit easier. I don't know why, but um, also, I didn't want to limit the people to uh, um, just the Coco 3 version. So, um, oh, good, because yeah. my Coco 3 has a Coco 2 keyboard on it temporary. So this is just Junior's Revenge. There's uh, Return of Junior's Revenge, Revenge which is yeah. the Coco 3 only, but uh, Junior's Revenge is the one that works on all three computers. Yeah. So this will require 32K, Coco 1 or 2. Uh, or, or 3. three. Um, I might even work on the Dragon. I've never tried it on the Dragon emulator, but it's joystick-based. So it and in case nobody <sighs> recognized it, it's a Donkey Kong Junior game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I don't know, is there any other Donkey Kong Jr. versions for uh, the Coco, or is this the nope, only one? Just just this one and the return of uh, Junior's Revenge, which has a little bit of a spot in history. It's not the greatest game, but it's also one of the very first third-party games for the Coco 3 release. Yeah. I was going to mention that, but thank you. <laughs> I, I read that on your website. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's the game for uh, next week, so... Oh, tell me, Eric Anderson, the chat mentions that uh, Junior's Revenge was released by both Dragon Dad and Microdeal for the Dragon, so that they definitely played this one there, too. So, Okay. okay. Ready so, for a commercial break? Sure. I need Before coffee. To the news? Okay. Yep. Yes, let's, do the, let's, let's do the new one there, uh, Mark. Uh, we got to run through the uh, uh, first suite anyway. But yeah, I'll, I'll stick that in. are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy-colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original color computer, the Coco 3, and the world-renowned exclusive French Canadian Coco 2. The Radio Shack.
At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Bowden Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Michael Pitsley, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Coco periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, uh, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Coco World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Coco Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Coco Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Uh, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? It's time for everyone's favorite segment. Who's new to Discord? Oops. It's time for everyone's favorite segment. Who's new to Discord this week? The baby cup. 
Hi, my name is Andy. I'm into a variety of retro systems but am new to the Dragon and Coco and was curious. I use various emulators as I have no room for physical machines. Computer Hobbyists Hi guys. I'm David. I was the guest on the last Coco Talk and found out about this Discord server. I like the color computer, Commodore PET, Commodore 64, and old DOS systems. Nickler. Hello, my name is Richard. My first computer, 40 years ago, was an original Coco with 32K. Managed to upgrade it to 64K and then kill it by experimenting a bit with the hardware in it. I then used a Coco 2 for a few years. Kathleen. Hello everyone, I'm Miss Kathleen, from Belgium. I'm a big fan of the TRS-80 computers and especially the Coco 1, 2, 3, the 2 being the first computer that I owned when I was young, I still have a Coco 2 with its accessories, disk drive, SD card reader, tape player, etc. Trembile. Hi, my name is Sean. I don't have direct experience with Coco machines, but I'm very interested in emulation. The Coca seemed like fun little 8 bits that I'd like to learn more about. Kenig. Hi, my name is Ken, as you may have guessed from my username. I was born in 1953, so I am retro. I recently bought a Coco 2 and have been using Atari Age to learn about it. The previous bios were edited for time's sake. Thanks to Melly, Boysontech, Paul Fiscarelli, Terry Stagy and the Coca Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. At discord.cocatalk.live Everyone's favorite game. Take it away, Curtis. <laughs> Smoothest segue ever. Smooth. <laughs> First of all, a big shout out to Terry Steggy for making that uh, Glenside uh, 30th Annual Cocoa Fest promo. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> as Rocky Hill says, obviously it was made with the uh, actual, clearly rendered on a Cocoa with a Gimme X. So. M MC10. Oh, it was an MC10. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> and 60 said, ooh, fancy ads. So some kudos for you there.
Now we just need to, you guys to make a, like a model of Mark B so he can do the announcing for him and he doesn't have to keep tongue tying himself all the time. <laughs> Poor Mark. <laughs> I was trying to say everybody's favorite segment came on news. <laughs> didn't didn't quite work. Yeah, didn't work. Kind of work that way. The other ones are pre-recorded. <laughs> yep. I'm no Stevie. No, I don't think any of us are. He's well. He used to do professional stand-up comedy, so he's used to you know talking in public and winging it too. So none of us have that experience that I know. Right, he's got that MC in him. Yeah. Okay, so there's been uh, two weeks since we did the last show, so there's a fair catching up to do. So there's a fair bit. I'm gonna probably rapid fire a few of them because some of them are in, in groups. Um, so I, I won't show everything from a particular group. I'll just you know do a couple as a highlight. And um, these aren't quite in chronological order. The first few probably are a little bit older, but uh, uh, others are going to be kind of just whenever I found them and threw them into the talk. So anyway, the first one here is an update from Sheldon McDonald, who was, of course, working on his Ice Brawlers hockey game that supports Coco 3 and the Coco VGA, some of the enhanced graphics modes. He's got a new video showing it, which now shows things like scoring, working, and carrying the puck around, as well as having the music running in the background. I won't play the whole thing, but I'll play a little bit of it here. Um, it does change the pace of the music when you're getting near the end of the game. It's kind of a audio cue to the player that you're running out of time to try to score as many goals as you can. So I'll probably you know skip a little ahead of that once I uh, play a little bit of the original speed here. So sound coming through okay? Yes. Yep. This will be a two-player game or a one-player versus the computer game, from my understanding. Well, this is not a real hockey game. There's no blood on the ice. Well, I'm hoping he adds that, because he did call it Ice Brawlers. He didn't call it Ice Hockey, so I'm imagining there's something coming yet. <laughs> Unless he calls for high sticks. Yeah. Slashing. Yep. That's where it you. You're in here, the, uh, the time kick in where it starts speeding up the song to specifically let you know that you're getting near the end. Just like Mario. And he's going to have to change the palettes on his score in the upper left corner because it gets quite hard to read in some spots there depending on the background. So. But it's still work in progress. Now, it looks like he actually, literally while the show was on, he sent me a message here that it looks like he's getting ready to do some beta testing of it uh, for people. Link's um, already up on is Facebook. It? Okay. Yep. And I have the link directly to his website, too. Okay. So that's a public beta for everybody to join in? Here's me. Post it on Facebook. Okay. And is that both the Coco 3 version and the uh, Coco PSG, Coco VJ, or does he mention? Um, it mentions both. There's just one disk image. Okay. So it's good to see that that's progressing quite well and uh, probably will get released sometime in January at the rate he's going, assuming there's no major problems with the beta test. So everybody who's on, who's got a Coco 3 or Coco VJ, go get the download. Uh, Mark can post it. Actually, he already did in the uh, 
chat there so that uh, you, in case you don't have Facebook. There's the direct link to it. So yeah. Hey, thanks. Next up, we got a couple of Jim Gary updates for the over the holidays. So the first one here, uh, this is an existing game called Demon Attack we've shown before, written by Charles Pelosi. Now, what Jim's doing here is he's actually running it through Greg Dion's basic compiler to speed it up a little bit. And this is a result of uh, that. So it is definitely playing a little bit faster uh, with some decent animations, et cetera. So I'll just show a little bit of that running. And once again, using semi-graphics four. I'd have to actually load up the original to see what the original speed was like, but I do remember it was a fair bit slower than this in the plain basic version. So that compiler definitely helps. That's going to wait until he actually kills one of these here. So that was the first one from Jim. And then another one he's doing here is called Tank Search and Capture. Um, and this is actually from a book called Advanced Graphics of Tears 80, which I'm not sure if that's for the Model 1.3 or if that was for a Cocoa book. Um, and this actually includes head-to-head -head play between him and his son, Charlie. And he actually put a little challenge in the description if you can guess which color tank is him and which color tank is his son. Um, I'll run a little bit of that here. I can imagine trying to play this two people with multiple keys on the MC10 keyboard. That should be fun. It's going to be a bit cramped. And he's using, I think Steve had mentioned this the last time we saw one of the videos that uh, Jim had done where he's using the semi-graphic six, you can get a little bit of extra resolution, but it limits the number of colors, but then you can also mix these text bars where you can get these you know, vertical stripes in a higher res than you would normally see. Like the timer at the top there, you can kind of see it has a little bar effect type thing. Just a bit of an innovative use of using that, so. Well, it looks pretty cool, you know, rotating tanks and stuff. I mean, obviously rendered pretty low res, but. Next up from Jim, we also have, uh, he's been working on uh, Taz's dropship game, which we've shown before. Now, the current version of Taz's game, and we've we've shown dropship on before, it's actually a pretty intricate game. There's some arcade elements, there's wandering around a maze elements, there's a few different things to do in it. It's a fairly extensive game. But as it currently stands, it currently requires one of the upgraded basics for the MC-10, like the MCX-128, or the SM, what is it, MSXDC or something like that, 32? But it requires that extended basic that's been added onto it. And what Jim's trying to do here, he's trying to backport it to be able to run on the original MC10 color basic. You'll still need a RAM upgrade, but you won't need the enhanced ROMs. So this is a work in progress video. He's not quite done it yet, but it seems to be going pretty good so far.
anyway, from the looks of it here, he's actually, he's succeeding. He's, he's got most of the game elements are in here already from the original game uh, without requiring the extended basics. So this will allow this program to be ran on some MC10s that just have the standard Tandy, you know, 16K RAM pack upgrade versus some of the more modern ones. So people that are want to stay truly retro will soon, soon be able to play Dropship, which is awesome. And for those interested in what he's doing, <clears throat> he's actually got on his GitHub the entire source code to his version of uh, Dropship here for Microcolor Basic. Um, there's even like, some Christmas stuff in there too he threw in, which I haven't had a chance to look at yet, but uh, feel free to go grab it off of his GitHub. Next up, and this is also the MC10 related. So um, this is a Frogger game that's also made in Japan. Now this is originally, there was a, a machine called the Gakken Compact Vision TV Boy, and boy, that's a mouthful. And it was a, a rather unsuccessful game platform in Japan with really bizarre joystick controls. It looked like a, if you've seen airplanes, you know, with the stick that they grab with the one hand, it's kind of a grip thing to move, you know, throttle up and down. That's the type of game controller this thing had. And it was built into the console itself. So you couldn't like just hold the joystick by itself. There was a whole console. And it was that VDG based um, chip. So it's using the same graphics chip as the Coco and the MC-10 did. Uh, the CPU I believe was different though. And it was very unsuccessful. I think it only had six games released officially for it at the time. And then it just it was too little too late. It was actually like, like the MC-10 from Tandy in that way. It could just, you know, it was a little too late for the market. It was meant to be a cheap one, but right when it was coming out, uh, an even cheaper but more powerful console came out, so it just kind of died on the vine type thing. But one of the games they actually had was the official port of Frogger. With the graphics already pre-rendered and stuff, this guy has actually been working on porting this version of Frogger to the MC-10 itself. And this is a screenshot of it actually running an MC-10 emulator as far as he's gotten so far. And he's got a few screenshots from it here you can see here. And he's actually got some of the source code for the 6803 listed here. So he's kind of goes through and explains. And it's, it's kind of a project ongoing blog uh, explaining exactly what he's doing. It's in Japanese. So if you, if you natively know Japanese, you'll be able to read it a lot easier without having run through a translator. Obviously, the source code's in, in 6803 Minolix, so it's fine. But uh, it's, it's another project that's in, in progress of another machine language ported game to the MC-10, which you had a few of. In fact, there's another new one of those I'll be coming later on the news as well. So there's a whole plethora. I mean, the number of machine language games for the MC-10 in the last six months has probably doubled or more from what they had the entire run of the machine from 83 till now. So it's, it's interesting seeing all this flurry of activity on there. And plus now we've got the basic compiler by Greg Dion, which means if you don't learn 6803, you can still write much faster games than you could have before, even in basic. And of course, now with the SDX32 and the MCX128, You've got more memory to play with. You've actually got an extended basic, which has some built-in, you know, high-res P-Mode 0 and 1 commands and stuff you can do too. So there's a lot of new opportunities uh, for the MC-10 as far as programming goes, and especially on the game front, it seems. There's quite a bit of stuff coming out. So good, good to see all that happening. And here's a little video demo of it running on the MC-10. So this is, like I said, it's a work in progress. So... No sound at this point. And just a very brief, like just to show that he's kind of got the engine starting to work basically at this point. Uh, next up, Chris Hawkins of Chris's Retro Corner. Now we covered last time, two weeks ago, he was doing his 10 day Christmas countdown because he just got a dragon as a gift from his wife. 
Um, and then he had started doing this video series. And I guess he does this every Christmas with a different system where he picks just 10 games, you know, from suggestions or things that look interesting to him. And uh, he decided to do that for the dragon this year. And we've covered a few of them previously. So since the last episode of Kogo talk, uh, he's done games three to 10, uh, which is Leggett, Devil Assault, Cosmic Crusaders, Planet Invasion, Flag and Bird, Shock Trooper, Dungeon Raid, and Airball. And then he threw an 11th episode, which is the uh, Dragon Pepper demo that I think we showed last year, the year before. It's a semi-graphics, you know, the demo scene in Europe type thing, you know, showing off some graphic techniques and stuff you don't normally see. Now, I won't go through and play a lot of these um, here, uh, just because there's, there's quite a few of them, and they're, you know, five to ten minutes long each. Is there any particular one one wants to see, or should I just go on to the next story and let you guys watch them offline on, on your own? And we'll watch them offline. Okay. Next up after that, now this is something I'd never thought I would say in the same sentence. James Jones, who's famous for a lot of his work in OS 9, and, and he's a big proponent of Basic 9, et cetera, and a game writing thing. That, that James is not known for writing games or even playing them that much. But there was a, a thing published on Facebook a couple weeks ago about a 1K ZX81 basic game that was an invader, space invader type game with one invader. And this is the entire listing from the original magazine there. And a lot of people in the Coco community had started working on making semi-graphics versions of it for the Coco and the MC10 as well. We showed that last episode as well. And James decided to take it and, and actually convert to Basic 9. Now, Basic 9 is a little bit more wordy. Um, so I wouldn't say it fits in 1K anymore at this point, but he actually goes through a whole blog of, you know, how he converted the original code you can see here. And he goes into some of the differences you would do in basic line, like the fact you don't need line numbers for every single line type thing. So he kind of goes and breaks it down as he progresses through it. Um, demunging it, um, you know, changing it for, you know, different things that basic line supports that regular Microsoft basic does not. Um, and just keeps on going down starts doing like type procedures he actually creates some procedures to do certain things and here he's doing you know complex type things just to make it easier to add on it he mentions he creates the object thing and all you have to do is just dim that object with a bigger number and then you can add more invaders to it and because basic nine is an integer based or has integer based variables as well you probably could it for the same amount of speed easily fit like five or six invaders and not lose any speed at all so and he starts going into stuff like loops and stuff that you don't normally see exit if to get out of the loop, et cetera. He's got a few line numbers in there specifically just to show that you can still do that. Um, but obviously it's a bit longer than the original version as it was, though it does have expandability built into it now too, which the original version did not. And then he has a couple of, you know, just procedures where he decides to throw in some stuff that you can actually call and use it in your own code or, or you know, use it to enhance the game type thing. So it's a really nice blog kind of explaining how to convert a Microsoft basic style program into basic nine, which you can do as a straight through, you know, leave the line numbers and just leave everything as it was just about, you might have to tweak a few things, but he actually goes through improving it. And he, what does he call it? He calls it street basic. I think is what he calls Microsoft basic. Cause even the creators of basic from the original 1968 version just are not a fan of Microsoft one. Now in defense of Microsoft and some of the others that made basics in the seventies, Ram was really limited. So they didn't really have, the room to do other stuff. Cause I mean, the original basic was developed on minis, uh, which had a lot more resources to throw at it type thing. I think that's part of the reason because when you're writing for Altair or something with one or two K of RAM, you don't really have a ton of, ton of room to do all the fancy stuff. So uh, I kind of understand why they did that, but it is nice that he actually goes through this and shows you exactly how to 
convert a program, a fairly simple one, and a little game too, which like I said, I never thought I'd see James doing, but uh, it was really cool to see him do that. Next step, uh, Paris Rat, who's uh, we mentioned last time, has started releasing basically every new AGD game. This is from the AGD engine from the Spectrum, converted over to the Coco and the Dragon. Um, and he's been prom he's promised to have nine packs of games to release weekly. And then since we've been two weeks since the previous episode, there's two more six packs out. So the first one here has uh, Elon M and then this Funky Fungus Reloaded, which actually is five separate chapters to the same game. So there's World 1, 2, 3, and 4, and then the boss level. So there's some screenshots here he's posted on the World of Dragon uh, forums. So here's the Elon M, and that's obviously Elon Musk. Um, and Elon Musk, actually, we found out not too long ago, actually, he had been a published as a teenager writing a game for a magazine when he was like 14 or something like that. So he's, he's actually had some experience writing games for these, these older machines, too. And then here's the Funky Fungus Reloaded. And then there's World 1. I don't know too much about the games yet because I've had a chance to play them. And then the various different levels, and I'll just skip down to the boss level. Some nice, you know, integ integrated graphics here in the background too, some fairly detailed stuff. So that's the first pack that was released. And then the week after that, he released the next pack, pack number 44. So it has one that's very appropriate for modern times called Get the Vaccine. <laughs> Uh, then he's got a Gherkin's Christmas. He's got, I don't know how to pronounce it, Noni 2020. And then he's got another multi-stage game. It's Jetpack John and uh, Jetpack Neo Demo and Slow. So it's a Jetpack. It's not Jetpack Willies. I, I think it's probably loosely based on that is my guess. But like I said, I haven't played these yet. And screens out to some of those. So um, looks like some fairly interesting gameplay. Um, obviously, it's based on the AGD engine. Yeah, I kind of have to stick with its restrictions, but... So both of these are available right now. You can get them on the World Dragon Archive form. You can download them. Uh, they'll play on the Dragon or the Coco 1 and 2 or 3. Um, I don't think he's converted any of these yet for the, uh, the Super Sprite FM Plus board like he's done a few of the earlier AGD games. I think he's just trying to get all these new ones that have you know kind of came out since the last time he did the big batch. Now, for those of you that have not played any of these before or are new to these and didn't know that these existed, instead of having to go through this forums and trying to find all 44 packs in individual things, one thing Pear has done in the past and is doing again this time around is that every month, if he's releasing new ones, he will actually have a cumulative download that has every single thing up to the end of that month. So if you want to get all 44 packs in one shot, you can get that now too. And he calls them the big pack. So this is version 2.7. Uh, which currently with these new ones here that just been added, it's got 249 games on it. Um, so lots of new games to play. So uh, Ken, we were talking about possibly trying to spotlight one of these uh, maybe later as a game on challenge. So he's still got a few weeks left to more of these packs and he'll have more of these monthly big ones. So if you want to wait till he's finished releasing all the updated ones, maybe download the big pack and then we can have a few people go through different chunks of them and maybe select a couple of games to, to pick as a challenge. Yeah, definitely. Okay, next about that, Paul Shoemaker. Um, he's doing a new version of Poker Squares specifically for the Dragon, because of course they don't have artifact colors and the Coco 1-2 version currently requires artifact colors to be you know, nice on the eyes. Um, and he's also done a Coco VJ version. Now the Coco VJ does work in the Dragon, but it's a bit more involved to get it to fit properly on the Dragon. So it's, it's not a 
super common upgrade at this point. So he's making a new version for the Dragon specifically using their built-in color set. So I'll show a little bit of that with some good music in the background and stuff too. And he's actually got a version of this available for testing now you can download on Facebook as well. Instructions, scoring, some animations. Actually, I think he did a pretty good job, you know, considering he's running in P mode one. With, you know, the four colors that we're kind of stuck with in this mode. And we've, we've seen the game before, so I won't play the whole thing, but the, it's, a, it's a really nice version. And like I said, he's already got the uh, a version for you to download and try out yourself. Um, which is on Facebook in the file section. For those of you that are not on Facebook, I, I guess we're going to have to like kind of maybe encourage him if he hasn't already thrown it on the archive. I've been on the archive in the last couple of days. So I don't know. Maybe it's already there. I don't know if anybody else has noticed. Um, and sometimes Squim gets kind of busy and it, it, it might take him up to a week to approve stuff to get on the archive anyway. But uh, if you are on Facebook, you can go download it right now and give it a shot. Give him some feedback too if you're on Facebook as well, if you found any bugs or any suggestions, et cetera. So when he says it's a dragon version, does it have a dragon keyboard as well? Or I would assume so. Um, so the dragon version won't work on a Coco, in other words. Well, it will, but not with the same keys. <laughs> or maybe he has yeah. a, an option that you can load it there. I think he kind of basically figures that most people on the Coco 1 and 2 will play the P-Mode 4 artifact graphic version of it. But yeah, that's a good point for people in Australia that are running PAL Coco still. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there's a suggestion actually, Nick. You're on Facebook. You can send him a suggestion about that too. Then maybe just have it so that uh, there's some keys that are common. So if he picks one of those and just say hit this if you have a dragon, hit this if you have a coco, or maybe auto recognize the ROMs, you can just adjust the code. Is it a basic program or machine language? I believe it's, it's at least partly machine language. I think it might all be machine language. I'm not sure. All right. I've actually downloaded the disk to take a look. He could probably just have two options. At the start, yeah, just load it up. Yeah. Yeah. Or just, you know, you pick one, call it, you know, P square 4D for Dragon and C for Coco or something like that. Yeah. Cause some people with, with PAL based Cocos might want to try it, um, you know, without having to worry about not having artifact colors. Um, now, Nick, you probably know this better than I do. For modern TVs, do they actually show artifact colors even if you're in PAL? Or is it still? No, no they it don't. It comes up black and white. Okay. So the TVs will do NTSC. But the Coco, of course, doesn't. A PAL Coco doesn't generate them. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Next up, we have an update from Paul Thayer on Cocobon. And he's been doing kind of regular video blogs on this. And this is uh, the fifth one in the series. And he covers a couple things here. So it's three minutes. I'll probably play most of it myself here, <clears throat> just so you guys can get it caught because I can't remember what all he had here was testing. And also it shows some of the gameplay too. Hello. So. How's everybody doing? Hope you guys are doing well. <clears throat> I wanted to do another progress blog. Uh, I have been working on implementing an explosion emitter for way too long. 
took me a little while to figure out some things. Um, I still a couple of more tweaks that I think I would like to make if time permits, but it's working good enough as is. Um, one of the things that I wanted to do was grab a random trajectory hypotenuse out of, you know, a 256-byte angle table um, to kind of add some more randomness to the directions of emission. Um, but right now, basically, it's choosing any one of 16 directions to travel in, and I hard-coded in the X and Y offsets that would be added to the current location of the explosion on the screen and then it would you know restore backgrounds and, <clears throat> and draw the new um, explosion where it needs to be um, it looks okay um, I think it looks really good actually I just think it would be a little bit more realistic or add a little bit more variety if I actually chose like a random hypotenuse from more than 16 choices so we'll go into that and show you the progress that's been made so we have these uh, death tiles just above where my guy is here and it gets set to a skull after I go on to them um, and if I go back step back on it I will explode and the level will restart pretty quick um, not too bad though. I'm, I'm liking the results so far. And that was it. So the next thing that I need to do is start working on some of the other things that are going to be happening here. So, uh, hitting the R button to restart the level. Um, right now it just fades out, but it should explode you and then fade fade out and restart uh, that's going to be pretty easy to implement um, pressing X takes you back to the main menu um, I would like to have an explosion with that I think um, and then from there the next thing that I want to do is have the lasers emit out of these objects that you see right here but I discovered another issue that I have while I was implementing the explosions that I need to fix before I do anything with lasers. But there is a development progress blog for you. Thank. Anyway, so he's making good progress on it. I do like his explosion routine. Uh, it does look good. And the fact that it's somewhat randomized, so it's not just a fixed explosion, the same exact same every time, that's kind of cool. Um, the game is looking good. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it finished. It's for Sloopy, who's a fan of puzzle games. Here's another one for you coming up. Next up after that, now we had Karen on last week to kind of demo the, or last show, I should say, to demo this for us, which is the GMC version, the cartridge version with the GMC sound hardware of Blockdown, which is a modern Tetris clone done in uh, you know, sort of the higher semi graphics type mode. So it looks really good on a couple one, two, or three, or Dragon. And uh, Neil announced that he's now selling the cartridge. And you can see pictures up here, which I'll zoom up in a second. Now, to order this, it's $40 plus shipping. 
Um, you can get it in translucent or black cartridge cases while quantities last. And if you want to buy a copy of it, you email them at neil at cococrew.org. Um, zoom up this one here so you can kind of see what the manual looks like. And the, uh, I believe Tim Linder designed the program pack box here. And then, of course, the cartridge itself as well. So if you're a huge Tetris fan and you want like background music and everything else that we showed when, the, when Kieran was so kind to demo it with us here last show, it's now available. You can go buy it. It'll run on Dragons or Cocos. And it's a, it's a very, very good implementation of Tetris with a lot of the more modern Tetris bits added into it. So it's unlike the classic ones, we have a bunch, you know, including the official one back from the 80s and early 90s. This one has some of the more modern gameplay functionality in it. So it's, it feels much more like a modern Tetris. Next up, Tim Lindner, speaking of, um, has been doing this ongoing series called Sibling Rivalry. He plays against his sister, AJ, and they choose games on various platforms that go head to head. So they're playing against each other. It's not a take turns type of thing. And the latest episode they did here is actually based on Pit Stop 2. And this is one of the few times where AJ was actually in the lead, but she didn't, Tim didn't explain to her how Pit Stops work. time again for another sibling oh, rivalry it seems like just yesterday that we did the other one not to me <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate uh he didn't quite explain like he, he basically said at the beginning of the video come i can play the whole thing it's 15 minutes it's it's fun it's a lot of fun watching it um but basically he explained that there is pit stops in here that we can go change your tires and refuel and stuff but we won't need to do it this game because we're only playing a three lap game and you can get through with fuel and unless you do really bad on your tires you should be able to make it through without having to make a pit stop at all. But he didn't explain to her how to go into a pit stop. So she did a bit of accident while she was in the lead, legitimately in the lead. I think at the end of the second lap, she accidentally went into the pit stop and then she had to kind of you know figure out scrambling and how do I get out of the pit stop because I don't need new tires, I don't need new fuel. And by that time, Tim passed her and then he won the game. So then she was asking people to weigh in. Do you think that Tim cheated a little bit there by not explaining this to? And it was kind of fun reading the comments here, but... Uh, it's a fun game. I don't know how many people here play Pit Stop 2, but it's actually one of my favorite racing games. Woo! Oh, get out of my way. Oh, see? I, see how I just avoided that guy? Because that's how good I am. I'm like, moo, moo, moo. Oh, out of his way. Boop, boop. Just passed another and guy. And she has her own sound effects. I'm on fire. Oh, out of his way. so far ahead of me. Oh, my gosh. She needs a sound chip there. Yeah. I'm winning. But she's on the top on this particular screen, and she's, you know, a fair bit ahead of of Tim. The, the cool thing about this game is that you're playing against computer players um, and you're also playing against each other. So you can run each other off the road. You can purposely ram them in. So they're running on the edge of the road there and wear their tires down, but you wear down your own tires that you're rubbing up against their car. So it can be a bit of a suicide rush uh, if you're not careful. So there's a lot of interactivity. Plus you have to deal with the computer players like slowing down and changing lanes and blocking you off. Sometimes they'll just shift over and block you right as the other human player comes zipping up the side and actually passes both of you type thing. So it's actually a lot of fun interactive wise. This is a game that is, it's okay as a single player game. I think both, I don't know if he's still on the call here, but he uh, and, and Aaron reviewed it. And on, as a single player game, it's, yeah, it's okay. It's like a poor man's pole position type thing, but two players is where this game shines. And to me personally, if you play it two players with at least six laps, if not, not the full nine, and you can even do the grand circuit where you go through all six courses, where you actually, you have to do pit stops. You have to refuel. So you have to start choosing when do you do that? What, do I risk going one more lap to get further ahead of my other human player 
that might have pulled in the pits right now to get gas. But I have tire damage that's pretty bad. But as long as I avoid running into things, I might be able to make it through. So this this is actually one of my favorite uh, car racing games on the Coco period on one, two or three doesn't matter. Uh, but it, it is definitely a, a, a big jump up in quality and fun with two human players. This is one I'd like to see people do at the fest. Maybe it's a little live thing in some corner and just, you know, have people step up and join in for a, a six lakh game or something like that, just to kind of get a feel for it if you've never played the game before. Has anybody here on the panel played uh, Pit Stop 2 fairly regularly or played against other human players? I love this game. Wouldn't it be great on a Coco 3 with explosions? Yeah, or background sound <laughs> that uh, doesn't well, slow it the, down. The only thing disappointing with the game was it's just, you know, the, the all the dots got bigger on your tire and then you died. Yeah, it just throws you onto the side. You, you get white, a solid white bar and you're, you're out of the race and the other guy keeps it, going. It could use more drama. But other than that, I love this game. It was, it was the one you got your friends to play so you could show them your computer was cool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I have to agree. And did you play with, against a human player too, Rick? Or were you having to play? Well, yeah, this is one of the ones I would pull out when my buddies came over and I wanted to show them we had cool games on my you know, computer of choice. So two player game was bonus because, you know. Yeah, it's 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 a whole other level of fun to me when it's two players. It's okay as a single player, but it's it's way more fun when you actually have that rivalry going on and you're literally trying to run each other off the road or the other favorite move I did is if the guy did not want to go to the pit stop, say so he's just ending the first lap, starting the second. And you could literally ram him into the pit stop. So suddenly has to take the time to like <laughs> move the steering wheel onto the driver and get him back on the pits. In the meantime, you're zipping way ahead. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I didn't think of that one. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen a few thrown joysticks at this one. Um, I have to admit people getting mad and getting run into the pits and you bugger and throw the joystick at you. I think. How you many know. joysticks have you had thrown at you, Curtis? Ah. <laughs> Well, it depends. If, if the same joystick is thrown at you multiple times over the years, does that count as one or more, more than one? Each occurrence counts as one. Oh, then I've definitely had it more than once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and several good. different people. <laughs> it's probably good. I grew up back in the days of televisions with the blast screen on the front. So when you whack it with the joystick, all you did was crack the joystick. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this is a really fun series. You can tell that the siblings, while they're definitely rivalry, heavy-duty rivalry going on, whatever game they play, they're having a hell of a lot of fun doing it. So it's it's kind of infectious to just to watch. It's 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 a nice, pleasant distraction. They released this one on Christmas Day, too. So for me, at the later end of the Christmas Day, I actually, mm. is when I first watched it, it was just, it was a nice, you know, mood lifter. It was just fun. Now, this one here is a Spanish channel that I've not seen before. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Lardu? No, let's go up here. It's, it's this. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and here they did a review of Dino Wars, which is not something I thought I'd see too often. And uh, judging by the graphics they got here, I'm guessing that this might be like a dinosaur theme. Hola, ¿cómo están a todos? Y bienvenidos a mi canal. Mi nombre es Lardeus y hoy vamos a jugar Dino Wars. Y también vamos a explicar un poco sobre... I like the auto interpreter can interpret as wine wars. Lo que me llama la atención de este juego es que es un juego de acción. Y en el momento en que colocamos la pantalla de juego, vemos a dos dinosaurios que están caminando de un lado para otro. Thank God for the translation. Dino Wars es un juego de acción rápido al estilo arcade, donde los dos jugadores... 
But anyway, he does kind of a review and, and kind of talks about the gameplay and stuff and how, especially how compared with other games from this early on. Um, so for any of our Spanish viewers out here, um, because the obviously the, the auto translates not perfect because it thinks it's called Wine Wars, which does sound like an interesting game, but I probably want to play that in real life, not on the computer. <clears throat> but uh, this is, of course, the game that kind of divides the community because there's a lot of people who absolutely hate the thing. And the, the Dino Wars cartridge was just a place you can get an extra case from. And then there's others, like especially younger kids, that just love the game and still play it now. They, you know, they, you can show them a PlayStation 5 and they still want to play this. So it's, uh, it's a rather unique game. And good 3D effects, etc. But uh, a, lot, a lot of fun to see that at, at another Spanish site because we've featured a few of them lately here playing some of the Coco games, uh, getting into this kind of stuff. <clears throat> and next up, the Japanese site that's been doing a lot of these MC10 and uh, Coco ports amongst a whole variety of other systems um, has now got another one called lift out um, and that both the mc10 version and the coco version have been released <clears throat> so i'm not going to play videos from both of them even though they're quite short uh, did you guys want to see the mc10 one or the coco version i think it's p mode one and p mode three basically is the main difference so i'll let you guys on the panel pick which version mc10 like mc10 So a bit of a platform, you got some elevators that you get to ride up and down. Flags you have to get. They kind of had a bit of a lull here because they actually cranked out like six games in a span of like a month. And then there was a bit of a break and now another one's come out. So I don't know if we're still going to be getting more and more as this goes on, which is really cool. Once again, yeah, we're getting more machine language MC10 games. And of course, they're making Cocoa versions slightly higher res, uh, Cocoa and Dragons, you can play as well. So, and uh, you know, the WAV files here are available for download. You can run them emulators, you can run them the real thing. So I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye out on this channel here because they they keep cranking out new stuff, and it's it's kind of nice to see all this new development happening, especially for the MC10. And that's the end of the game on news portion. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Do you want a commercial break before I hit the news? Because there's a fair bit of news. All right. Let's do a. We find the right mouse here. All right. Here we go. Let's do a commercial break. Hey there. It's Andrew here with the Tandy speech and sound cartridge that I won from Coco Talk Live. So uh, next time, make sure to tune in. It may change your life. We'll return after these announcements. Coco 2's got personality, lots of practicality, fun, it's sensational, learn, it's educational. Coco 2's expandable, so easily commandable. It's programmable, so term exam grammable. Just you and Coco 2 do what you want to do. Coco 2, the color computer with personality. From Radio Shack, sale price for Christmas giving from $149.95. Radio Shack's Coco 2, do what you want to do. Just you and Coco 2.
What's going on, everybody? The original gamer Stevie Stroh here, and I want to talk to you about Amacoconut.com. If you love the color computer like I love the color computer, then you got to visit Amacoconut.com, your one-stop shop for all of your candy color computer links needs. There you'll find links to blogs and podcasts and project sites and emulators and downloads and groups and communities. If you love the color computer, head on over to Amacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, Coconut.com. Tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Coco forever, people. Switcheroo. Use your cocoa with a modern display. Go from RGB to composite with just the flip of a switch. Coco3scartcable.com Hi, this is Antonio Jimenez, author of such projects such as The Stevie Throw Devil and The SD Pack. And you are watching Coco Talk in 3, 2, go. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Curtis. Hanoi Muppet News Flash. Okay, take it away, Curtis. Okie dokie. You guys have seen Glenn's weblog? Yes. Okay. So Glenn Hewlett, of course, is working on Robotron 2084 transcode or whatever you want to call it. I know it's technically some people don't think it's transcode. I'll call it that just because it's an easier basket to loop these these games in where you're translating from the original arcade hardware. Um, so he did a couple things here. He did a, uh, a blog posting here on a couple of techniques. Um, one has actually been being used for quite a while. I know Nick's done this and I know Bill and I used to use this in Nitro's 9 development too, where you change the border color to be able to tell, you know, how, either how much CPU time is happening. In the case of uh, some of the Nitro 9 development, Bill and I would change the border color to different colors depending on which routine it was in. So if something got stuck in an infinite loop, we could figure out where did it go off the rails. Uh, but most people these days use it for, you know, changing the border color so that once you're, you've got an interrupt, you can tell it'll cut off the border color change at that point. You can see how much CPU time is being used. It's used a lot of times for like background sound, like how much is that taking up CPU time, et cetera. In fact, you saw in the Paul Thayer video when we were going through Kokobon, he was actually using that with a red border. You could see how much CPU time he was using. And of course, each refresh is 60 hertz on NTSC or 50 hertz on uh, PAL, so 60 or 50 times per second. So I guess I guess Glenn had not seen that before and didn't, hadn't really thought about doing that. So he saw Simon Jonasson posting code that had that built in too. So now he's, he's using that same technique too. And he's also uh, did some 3D stuff here. Um, Simon had shown off, I think we showed in the last episode, some 3D uh, dot rendering that he was doing here. So he's got kind of a blog post on that as well. Um, so he decided to do his own here as well. So he did this uh, little Star Wars thing. He's got a rotating Death Star using 3D plot mapping with a routine that's a little bit more optimized than Simon's original version was. And he kind of does some technical explanation, which you know, I'm not going to go into detail here. You guys can read the blog post for that. But just to show you what that looks like. And you can see the blue bars there for the animation. He's using a little over half the CPU time to do this animation. And it's actually literally redrawing. This is not page flipping or anything. This is literally redrawing 
the dots of the 3D shape and rotating them around and you know erasing and redrawing them as it as it goes type thing. So and he's not using you know he's maybe using 60% of the CPU time right now. So that's a pretty decent little demo because he's got quite a few dots there. 727 pixels getting individually drawn and erased each time. So that was kind of cool. And it was cool that he actually, I, I didn't realize he didn't know about the border color trick for uh, measuring IRQ response time. Next up, we already played this. So I won't play it again, but that uh, basically was Terry Steggy's uh, promotion for CocoaFest 2022. Um, Terry, if you're on here, did you want to give any details on um, either the event itself or did you want to mention how you maybe made the, the advertisement? Is he still on the call? Oh, he's not. Never Wait, mind. <laughs> I don't think he's on right now. <laughs> anyway, May 2022. So hopefully a bunch of us will be able to make it. Hopefully uh, Omicron will die down by then. Next up, we have an update to the Turbo 09 project. Now we've featured this before quite a few months ago, I think now, this is a couple of people in Florida that are working on a, a 6809 based um, CPU replacement with a lot of additional features, a lot of speed increases using pipelining and some other more modern technologies. Um, and this is a video where they're kind of doing an update on it. And uh, they've actually got some people joining in on this now too. So they got the main two people, Kevin Phillips and Michael Rywald, and the committee that's kind of seen because this is a university-based project. Um, but Boise and I can't remember the other guy's name, but basically they've kind of joined in to be part of the testing suite. So they're writing some of the test code so they can A, make sure that the 6809 compatible core is working and also the new functions they've been adding to it, but also to do benchmarking between this and the original 6809 itself. And they're also comparing it with some other rivals to this. So these are basically to do for lower end 8 and 16-bit systems to have a, an FPGA style core based on the 6809 instruction set, and then comparing with some stuff that's been done on ARM and a few other things here too. So it's a pretty lengthy presentation. It's 40 minutes long. I'm definitely not going to play the whole thing. Um, but there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. They've got some charts explaining the different speed differences between them. Um, they're comparing a different couple of different C compilers, et cetera, and some assemblies that they use to generate some of the test code. Um, but the project's actually going along pretty well, and it's actually pretty competitive with some of these other you know, ARM-based solutions, et cetera, and some other ones that are also available too. And these are specifically geared for ones that want to interface with eight or 16-bit buses. Like you can definitely go faster and just run you know, ARM native at 32 or 64 bits just fine. This would be not that useful in that particular case. But if you need it for something that needs a reduced hardware, um, this actually looks like a pretty competitive solution. And they're still act actively working on it, obviously. And uh, if they keep cranking it out here, because they said they're not done optimizing yet. They're not done optimizing the C compiler. They're not done optimizing the core. And they're adding, you know, some of the 639 style functions like, you know, hardware divide and possibly the block memory moves and some other things too. So it's actually going to be enhanced even somewhat beyond the 639 in some cases. Um, I don't know if they're doing all the bit commands and stuff like that, but uh, it looks like a pretty interesting solution for this kind of a thing. I don't believe, now they can correct me if I'm wrong or, or Boise, if he's listening, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe this actually will be a thing you can just plug into a 6.9 socket and run. Um, so if you wanted to interface this with an actual Cocoa, I'm sure there's some little bit of dicking around, maybe a satellite board might be able to do it. But they, the speed comparisons they do, first of all, you can clock this thing a lot higher. You can clock this up to like 80, 90 megahertz easily. But also 
currently with the pipelining technology and stuff they built in, it'll run faster even at existing 6809 speeds or 609 speeds, like one, two or three megahertz. It'll run faster at that same megahertz rating than the original chip does. So you'll, this is an accelerator if they do get it to run in a 6809 socket. Um, so that's another opportunity for some, you know, maybe expanding the cocoa to go beyond because this doesn't require you to change the bus speed of the cocoa and all the other support chips. Like right now, you might want to do a turbo thing like Sockmaster did. You have to like kind of sneak in cycles here and there. You have to slow it down for IO when you're talking to a PIA or whatever else. And this here, because the CPU itself, the core is running faster, but the external bus is not, means you get the speed increases without having to dick around with all the special timing and all this other stuff. So you actually can run some faster code. Um, I think they were showing some of the speed increases are like 50 to 100% over the original right now, just flat out through. So if, for example, if you had the Gimme X and you put in a three megahertz, six through nine, you'd have to run six out of nine because it's not six through nine compatible at this point. But if it ran at three megahertz there or 2.86 to be technical, then technically you could probably get close to double that performance and actually run it as if you're running at five megahertz, six out of nine. So there's some pretty cool opportunities here. And also, if you're into designing hardware for 8 and 16-bit bus hardware, then uh, this is definitely a solution that if you're used to programming the 6709, well, this is a 6709 with enhancements, so no relearning required. Really interesting project, though. I'm, I'm really glad they're still pursuing it and continuing on. Next up, Alan Huffman, who's been busy as usual. So the uh, first entry from Alan here is his blog at Subita Software. Uh, tackling the Logiker Vintage Computing Challenge. Uh, we showed that two weeks ago with that, some entries from Jim Gary knows. This was to basically write code as small as possible to make this, you know, Christmas tree thing. So he kind of goes through some different alternatives that he came up with and, you know, how much size it takes, 386 bytes just to do raw prints. And then he starts figuring out, yeah, I can use tab. Well, then I don't have to like do all the spacing up to there. So that shrinks it down. And then you start doing pattern matching because you've got some duplicate patterns. So you can just make strings, strings of each, et cetera. And it keeps going down and crunching it and crunching it and crunching it. So it's kind of a, a progressive, you know, getting the code down as small as possible. Like we started at 300 and was it 86 bytes? I think the first one. Yeah, 386 bytes. And, you know, by the end here, he's getting 97, 66, et cetera. So quite the crunch. And then he's done a couple more uh, YouTube videos. Now this is something he's been doing where he picks a certain subject matter and then he does multiple videos on it, expanding on whatever the subject matter was. So lately he's been doing stuff on how to check bits, individual bits of a byte in basic. And he, this first one we did a couple of weeks or three, three or four weeks ago, I think uh, he showed you using like the powers of two using the exponent, the up arrow command in basic, which works. And it's really easy to understand. You go, you know, two to the power of three for the third bit. Uh, but it's incredibly slow if you're going to actually use this in a program type thing. So then he did another video showing you how to tableize and make it run a lot faster. Um, so he's got two new videos this time. So the first one uh, here, and I, like I said, I won't play these, you know, goes uh, basically how to figure out a clearing multiple bits, et cetera, in, in, that he showed in multiple or in previous episodes, how to clear and set multiple bits at a time using some basic code. Um, I won't play anything of that one because it's pretty self-explanatory. This one here is where he's kind of going to get a bit more advanced. So now he's doing bit shifts and stuff in basic. And of course, if you're going to be manipulating like graphic shapes or you know certain things, you'll want to be shifting and rotating bits through as opposed to just setting them on and off. So that's what he's getting into in this particular lesson here. So if you want to learn uh, stuff dealing with bits and bytes, 
without having to learn machine language first, which is normally where most people would start learning this kind of thing, because you start doing logical shifts, arithmetic shifts, rotates, et cetera, uh, ors, ands, et cetera. You can actually kind of get your feet wet here in the basic side, so it's a bit easier to understand for people coming from the basic side of things. And that'll actually get you a bit of a head start for learning to do it in machine language, which obviously you can do way faster than you can do basic, no matter which way Alan picks. So these are good tutorial videos, and I'm glad he's keeping these going as well. Um, this one here, uh, 48K RAM, and I'm spacing his real name. I'm, my apologies to him, but he's a, he's a Twitch guy that's actually one of the Amigos people, and he has his own channel, and he does these live streams on various platforms. And he actually owns a Coco 3, uh, 120K, and he's got one of the red case uh, SDCs you can see here. So one of the specials he did here almost two weeks ago was he decided to do an 8-bit Christmas party. So he's showing like 8-bit demos and maybe even some 8-bit games that are all have Christmas themes. And he did it on multiple platforms. Like he's originally an Atari 8-bit guy. And then he showed off some other stuff like Spectrum, et cetera, too. And he actually did some stuff on the Coco here as well. Um, and he was kind of learning things as he went along because he hadn't used the Coco in months. So he kind of forgot how the SDC worked and if you think so. It's, I won't play through to, you know, how you share his pain. But uh, I will mention that one of the things he did demo was the Christmas advertisement demo that Tandy did. So Tandy, for the Coco 3, did two official demos that I know of. One was the original one, which has the, you know, the crane and stuff hauling the Coco 3 and adding the multi-pack. And then it shows you like a scene from inside of a living room of a house. And you can see out the guy, street, there's a guy walking his dog. And then the dog breaks free and runs off. And the guy gets chasing it. Meanwhile, it's showing you desk mate on a little Coco screen. So that's the original demo which he does show on here as well. But there's also a special Christmas demo, which is basically showing the assembly line with elves, you know, calling Cocos that they've just made off of an assembly line, loading them onto Radio Shack trucks. You get to drive across, you know, a mountainscape with a bunch of trees and stuff and then drop them off at the Radio Shack store, et cetera. So it's, it's a really fun demo that it, uh, I think Spectral did for uh, Tandy back in 87. I think it was Christmas 87. I don't think it was in the first 86 one, but uh he, does, he goes through a few other things too, like some Christmas songs, et cetera, too. So it was nice seeing a variety of stuff. And he was restricting it specifically to 8-bit. It was kind of funny because he does do some 16-bit stuff like Atari ST, uh, Amiga, et cetera, stuff. And some of the people in the request and the chat, because they're used to his channel covering 8 and 16-bits. And he said, nope, this is specifically an 8-bit Christmas party. We're not allowing any 16-bit machines here. So you won't see any Amiga or Atari ST or the higher machines. You'll see Spectrums and Cocos and Atari 8-bits, et cetera. Um, since Christmas is already over, I won't bother playing any of this, but if you guys want to check it out, it's pretty cool. Uh, the Coco stuff starts roughly about 51 minutes in, and then it lasts maybe about 45 minutes to an hour, and then it, it kicks on to the next 8-bit system. Next one here, I will play a bit of this one. So AC's 8-bit zone. Um, he's been doing this little series on YouTube lately uh, with doing sprites, and uh, he's been demonstrating software sprites so far. And of course, he's working on a hardware sprite board um, based on the FPGA. And he does a little demo here just to kind of show what it looks like. This isn't pushing the hardware to the limits or anything. I know some people were questioning about that in the comments. Uh, but basically, he does a little Pac-Man demo just because he did already a demo to Pac-Man style engine running the software sprites. Uh, and this will work on the Coco 1 and 2, so it doesn't require you know Coco 3. And it also has built-in sound, so you can actually do sound things. So here he does a little demo of what... Uh, you know, early, early software sprites. This is Ghost Gobbler from like mid-82. They tried to cram the 16K so they didn't even do page flipping. So it's like oaring and XORing them on the screen. So it's kind of flickery, but it works. There was an early Pac-Man clone called Ghost Gobbler. 
actually flickers worse than this on the uh, real It isn't version. even close to the actual game mechanics or graphics. But the game programmer had a lot to overcome. So I'll fast forward a little bit here. And uh, this is the C64 version using some sprite hardware. I feel sure that it's using the sprite hardware. The sprites are one color each. The colors are slightly muted, I think, compared to the Atari version. Now, for the people that know the C64 hardware a lot better than I do, I believe the sprite chip normally, there was two modes. There was a higher res mode that did only two colors, and there was a lower res mode that did four. Is that right? I think that's right, yeah. Okay. So one thing he did not want to do on, on this sprite board that he's working on, it's limited to two colors and a high res. So that's actually, I'll give you a bit of a spoiler. That's not going to be a limitation on the cover version. Energy to make these videos. Please show your support by subscribing to the channel. The feature is that Ghost Collision with Pac-Man is disabled right now. So he'll pass right through the ghosts. So this is actually running on his hardware sprite board, and the sound effects the are being done by the same new board. hardware. In a later episode, we can talk about background scrolling, sound generation, and a new graphics mode that I'm contemplating. But he has four color sprites in here, so you can actually you know do the full ghost type thing. And if you look here, I don't know if my arrow will show up on the stream here, but there's a little blue vertical bar on the bottom left. And that's basically the equivalent of that border color trick that Glenn Hewlett was using and that Paul Thayer was using in earlier videos for testing out the amount of CPU time being used. Um, and it, he, this one isn't filling in the entire border. It basically does 100 pixels, I think, or something like that. And basically, the amount of blue is the amount of free time. So when it drops a little bit down, uh, you know, blackens out the top couple pixels, that means it's using a bit more CPU time. But basically, this 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 gameplay demo here is basically we'll barely using any. You can see it's only flickering features. a tiny little bit. Most of the time, it's How is free to do anything. Possible? Well, the Coco's video... And basically what he's done is he's recreated the VDG and FPGA, and then he's adding enhancements, and he's got sound support and everything else here. So this will all be unloaded from the CPU. Um, so this will be almost like a co-processor, kind of like the Super Sprite board uh, that the uh, Dragon people John Whitworth made. So we've, we're getting a couple of different solutions here too. And of course, he's going to have you know separate you know hardware for this and separate uh, documentation, et cetera, here too. And here's a, this is kind of what he's planning on having the support for. Highest resolution and in three colors plus transparent. The palette itself has been updated to allow 16-bit colors. The palette can be reprogrammed with any 16 colors that you'd like with those 16-bit type of values. So that basically means that the number of colors you can choose from on this will be, I don't sure if it's signed 16-bit or unsigned, at least 32,768 colors possibly 65,536. So it's giving you a, a super wide palette to choose from, which is higher than the first generation Coco VJ. I think the later ones do 32K colors too, but um, three colors for Sprite chosen independently. Uh, you can of course layer them, you know, which ones Sprites are gonna be in front of others, et cetera too. So uh, hardware collision detection is not in there, must use software. I don't know if that's something that he's just planning for the first generation or if he's maybe thinking of expanding that later. Um, but even just, you know, offloading all the drawing and all the sound generation is going to be a huge, you can do much more complex games when the CPU is not busy doing all this stuff. So definitely a good video to check out. He's been actually been quite active on Discord lately talking about this a bit too. Um, so if you have any questions, uh, just go ask uh, Alan, AC's 8-Bit Zone.
um, or leave comments on his YouTube video. And you can find the links in the news summary notes on our Discord. Next up, the next issue of Coco Crew got released, uh, episode number 79. So this has uh, Neil's official announcement and his review of the new block down that we showed earlier that you can order the cartridge GMC version with the background music, etc. That's cool. Um, it's also got Boise covered something a little bit different here. He actually went back to some rather extensive reviews that Rainbow did of Elite Calc. Now, Elite Calc was part of a suite of stuff that uh, Elite Software did. They also did games too, like Zaxxon and a few others. Um, but Elite Calc was actually a fairly advanced spreadsheet for the time. And one thing Boise did not mention on it, but I remember because I had a few friends here that actually had this version of it. It actually had support for the 80 column cards that both Radio Shack and P PBJ sold back in the early to mid 80s. So you could actually run this in a full 80 column card on, on Coco because running a spreadsheet on a 32 by 16 screen, let's be honest, is not the greatest experience. Um, I think later versions of it actually supported some high res stuff similar to like Telewriter and, and VIP did as well. So that was a kind of an interesting one too. Um, the host discussion was about uh, getting projects funded by Patreon, GoFundMe, et cetera. And then the, both the positives and the negatives to that. Um, I basically agreed with what most they most of what they said there. Um, I don't know if we're really making a discussion about it here, but uh, basically, if 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 the person doing the GoFundMe is doing it for legitimate reasons, like it's you know fairly expensive to get hardware to create something, or it's going to take a lot of time or whatever, then it's it's fine. Like we we see this in every platform. I mean, it's used all over the place for all kinds of things, not even just computer related for that matter. Um, but they, they kind of give you the caveat, like be, be wary. Like if it's somebody you've never heard of before and goes, yeah, I've never done anything on a Coco before, but I'm going to come in and, you know, I'm going to propose a super hyper hardware board and a software that I'm going to do there. Like, uh, make sure whatever way you're contributing isn't just going to take your money and they're going to disappear. And I, I do know there's been some people that have been burned by that kind of stuff in the past. So just be wary. I mean, that's with any of these GoFundMe, Patreon type things. Um, but I, I think it, it. I think it is definitely something that is useful in the community, and not just ours, but every community. I mean, Amiga does this. The Atiris you know, 80s do this. Everybody does this. Just because there's sometimes you need some certain hardware, or you need some certain, you know, software help, or whatever that you're going to need a, a little bit of cash. Like some people are really good developers, but they're not well off. You know, and this is one way that they can actually pursue their dreams and get this hardware and software done without having to worry. You know, do I have to you know exchange? having to buy a $500 piece of $500 piece of hardware to help make this dream come true versus eating this week. So I, I'm personally, I, I'm okay with them, but yeah, definitely be a little bit wary. Make sure you're not just, you know, some random new person shows up and promises you the world and all of a sudden disappears with your money. Type thing. The big one here though, was actually John's technical discussion here, which he actually goes into what he calls a VLSI primer. Now, this was instigated by the fact that Roger Taylor, of course, has been doing his project. Ironically enough, a Patreon project, he's asking for money to help because it's expensive getting all the stuff done. Um, but basically taking apart the gimme chip and figuring out the insides and how it works, et cetera. So one thing, uh, like when we covered it uh, a couple of weeks ago and a few weeks before that, when he first started the project, I don't know a lot about chip level hardware. Like, I'll, I'll be bluntly honest. And I hopefully I made that clear at the time. Um, but John has actually taken some college courses when he was in college about, you know, doing some chip design stuff. So he actually understands a lot better. So he gives you a primer on how this whole system works and what kind of things you might be able to expect to find out from Roger Taylor's project of taking apart the gimme layer by layer and taking the high-risk photographs and figuring out how things work. So if anybody had more technical details on how this stuff works, 
but doesn't have that technical knowledge of, of working with that type of chip level stuff themselves, it's a really good talk. So I, I definitely want to promote that one particular segment in particular as being something if you're interested in Roger Taylor's gimme, um, what do we call it, decompile project or whatever, it's definitely worth a listen. Next up, we have a couple uh, links or posts here from um, Alfred Santos, uh, Alfredo Santos. And now, for those of you who don't know, Alfredo has actually been a Cocoa guy since way, way back when the Cocoa One first came out, and he's been active in the community on CompuServe, et cetera, right from day one. Um, for those of you that have read Boise and Bill's uh, history book of the Cocoa, the first version of a history book for the Cocoa was a text file that Alfredo himself wrote. And it basically has the early history of the Cocoa from 1980 right through till about 91 when he stopped writing it. And then he kind of disappeared on the scene. He just rejoined in the last six months. So it's, he's been going through his attic and finding all of his old Cocos and stuff, which is really cool here. So here's a couple of his Cocoa 3s he dug out. You can see one with the one of the original SIM upgrades from uh, Cloud9 there in the upper left corner. Um, I, I'm assuming he's got a couple different versions of the Gimme here too as well. And then he's also got a second post he did here where he's actually digging out some of his original Cocoa One stuff here. And what he mentioned in particular here is some notes that he'd written on one of them here. And he's got this original machine he bought in January 9th of 1981, serial number 9385. I think this is a D-board 4K system. And then he's got a few others that he's also written down here. And he's actually got serial number 268, which is a really early one. Um, and he's got some pictures of some of the ones he dug out of his act that he kind of forgot he even had. So this is the uh, 4K Cocoa. It's got the original, you know, the older style RAM chips and the, you know, the gold style Motorola chips here too for the PIAs and the, the CPU, et cetera, the ROM. Um, this, this is close to what I had as my first one. I remember having those 4K RAM chips in my original D-Board, which is unfortunately long gone. Not getting the greatest picture out of it, but it still works, which is cool. In the original color base of 1.0. So this didn't even support 8-bit printers. This only supported 7-bit printers. And of course, the gold top chips that we were just talking about there too. These RAM chips actually have Tandy Corporation logos on them too, which I don't remember if mine did or not. It was kind of interesting. I didn't realize Tandy was directly involved in the RAM chips there. And then he dug up his first Cocoa, which had a few upgrades over the years that he actually found in the attic, which he didn't realize he still had. And he's got an upgraded keyboard on there too. And it's not one of the ones I remember being a commercial project, though I'm not sure what version this is. It's not a Mark Data products. It's not a... HAV, uh, uh, yeah, HAV. It's not a Keytronics. Um, it's not in the other ones that I recognize. So here's a better picture of it here with the. Uh, and it's got something on this key here. I'm not quite sure what that says. It almost looks like a Model One keyboard, sort of. Because didn't that have the white inner key? Nick, you probably know better than I would. But didn't the uh, um, Model One of the white inner key too? Yes, this, it did. And the thread is made with sticky paper, so. Yeah, so maybe that is a Model 1 keyboard. I do know, like, Color Computer News back in 82 had published an article on how to put a Model 3 keyboard into a Cocoa 1. You had to cut the crap out of the case to get it to fit, but it did work, and you actually got a working numeric keypad out of it. Are those keys a bit gray? Dark uh, gray? No, they're dirty. No, they're, they're <laughs> black. <laughs> well, the, the arrow keys and the shift arrows. are kind of a gray. Yeah, they're kind of a gray, yeah. Otherwise, it does look very Model 1-like, yeah, like an early one. Okay. So that, that might be, he didn't go into too many details of where the keyboard came from. He just mentioned that he found it mm -hmm. hidden away in his attic. That's uh, not what I want to do. 
And there's that that same one you deconstructed there. Like looking at that that layout of the key and, and basically how it's cut Actually, the plastic. Does that look like a model one, Nick? It does. I'm looking at the PCB right. board that it's on, actually. Right. Someone <laughs> that actually looks just like the one that's in my uh, D board. Let me go grab it. Someone hacked the living out of that PCB board to fit it in there, didn't they? Because you have the the posts and stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking to see those other two holes that are drilled in there. If they're the ones that marry up with the Model 1 uh, keyboard. Um, oh yeah, right, right by the down arrow key here and down. Yeah, I, I can't remember where the holes were on the PCB board. I mean, to me, this is a typical early 1980 to 82 era Coco because everybody I knew who was anything into electronics hacked the crap out of these things. That was one thing we've talked about on the show before, right. where <laughs> the earliest Coco users were definitely the hardware hacker types. You can see all the mods. One, he's got a probably a Model One keyboard here. He's upgraded a 64K RAM for a board that was only designed to 16K maximum. He's got you know, a rerouted switch here on the lower right corner. He's bodged the entire um, the composite, composite yeah. board here. He's Coco had thoughts. Mods, I should say a whole bunch of mods. By right, Samuel Also, I uh, recognize that disc controller. That, remember I showed I off my that disc controller. Right, yeah, with the offset. Uh, bang, 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 yeah, and that bang. one is the same. It's got a PCB board rather than an edge connector uh, than, than an actual IDC connector on it. Bang, 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 bang. Yeah, so this, this is a typical early 80s hack for One of those the early yeah, homebrew controllers. Now, I wonder, bang, was that some of, like, there were a few controllers out for the Coco before Tandy's even came out. Because remember, TSC and Flex and a few others were being sold well before Tandy even had this controller, so the burns out. I wonder if that's... I don't know. No, I think, well, my one came in after because Tandy's was too expensive. I'm out of <laughs> but that looks similar click, to the click, 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 keyboard I've got on display here. Our feed on Twitch has gone over to uh, games. Not sure Sorry, what happened. What? Well, the, I'm, oh, I have Twitch on right now and we're in an ad or something. Now we're a black screen. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm getting black screen, too. Not sure, sure what, what happened. Well, well, the, let me see, let me see if I can figure oh, out what I happened have here. have Twitch on right now, and we're in an ad or something. Still yeah, but now they're saying Coco Fots is playing on YouTube right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm getting black screen, too. Not sure, sure what happened. As far as I know, we're still broadcasting. Yeah, but they're saying they're getting uh, Coco Fots playing. In chat. Oh. All right, now now, hopefully we're back. And again, welcome to the rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you a bit hungover from uh, New Year's there, Mark? I, I have to ask. <laughs> no, I think what happened, I was trying to show you this uh, keyboard I've got here on mine, and I think I hit the, my cord hit the wrong button. Because uh, the keyboard that's in my D board here looks just like the one that you were showing. Okay. Yeah, I just got confirmation from Rocky Hill saying it's a podcast now. It's no longer a Google Talk. <laughs> they could hear us, though, I guess, through all this. So, Yeah, it, it, switched, it switched scenes on me. Yeah, you just you blame the cord, I, I say. We, you've, you've been Mark Bede. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was an encore presentation of very popular uh, gate crasher Cocoa Thoughts. <laughs> 
Well, I'm sure Nick didn't mind the free ad for. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> free ad, free ad for free software. I need another Ferrari. <laughs> anyway, this, like I said, this this is a typical Coco one from that era. I saw so many hacked just as much as this is. Um, we actually, one of our local people did the Model 3 keyboard too. Mark Kurczynski was the guy's name. I remember that. And uh, that was so, so far beyond me. I was a teenager. I, I was no better at soldering or hardware than I am now. So I just did the software stuff so I wouldn't hurt myself. Hey, it's really cool that he found these because some of these he kind of mentions in the comments he didn't know he still had. And he's got at least, you know, four Coco 3s of different types, et cetera, too. So um, definitely a lot of good Coco history there to go through, both Coco 1 and the Coco 3, if you want to take, check it out on Facebook. Next up, uh, there's a guy named Brian Schubring, uh, called the Music Man, who's actually on the call. So I'll let him explain what he did here. If you can figure out how to unmute. <laughs> okay. Riveting. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. I figured the show was going too smooth here, so I had to put you on the spot to make it even more yeah, awkward. Yeah, 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 yeah. Am I coming through okay, or am I too loud? You're Sorry, too soft. Light. You're too light, if anything. Boost that gain about three dB. Okay, is that a little bit better? No difference. Not no much. Difference. Hit it Come again. On. Are you close to the mic? Yeah. I'm, let's see. Uh, yeah, you should be pull, picking me yeah, up. Yeah, we're, we're getting That's there. Better. That's better. There we go. That's weird. It's all of a sudden it's real. Now you're small. quiet again. Better? There. Okay. Is that better? That's just good. Like, just like <laughs> me. Too many buttons. Yeah. yeah, I'm running with my mixer and whatnot. But Brian, oh, you, you and Mark just... should do a podcast together. That would be like the ultimate dumpster fire. <laughs> oh, I, I can go real wild if you want. No, that's good. Thank you. Are you sure? Absolutely. <laughs> Go ahead with your traffic. <laughs> okay, no wop 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 from the helicopter up here. So this is Brian Schumann, the music man. We are a thousand feet up, and what well, what I was doing here was uh, just uh, I remembered that I'd done um, care of the barrels way back when. I can't remember exactly when I did, and uh, did it for the TG three thirty three. Um, and because it has real good handbell sounds and whatnot, I just wanted to have something like that. So I found it and I just posted it. That's, that's about all that I did here. Just uh, wish everybody a uh, happy new year, Merry Christmas and the whole nine yards and all that. Yeah. No, you did two things actually. Cause you uploaded the actual MIDI file for Ultimus itself. Yes, I did, I did do that. I, I put yanked it out of my uh, inventory, created a, uh, actual, uh, floppy disk sized, uh, file and, uh, uh sent it out. Yeah. So you, you posted that on Facebook. Have you posted that onto the archive as well or not yet? I pro I know I said I was going to, but I forgot. Got busy with things. I went to go see uh oh what was that? Um Jeff Dunham last night. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cause as you mentioned in, in the comments when you were kind of like giving the preview of the video here before we start playing the song, and I'll play a little bit of it here just to Get us a little back right. uh, Christmas spirit here, but uh, you mentioned that the bell sound in this is specific to a specific synthesizer too, right? Right. It was the Yamaha TG33. Um, it has its non-general MIDI synthesizer box, and 
it um, has some really, really good acoustic sounds and it had, had a real good um, handbell sound and that which I don't see anywhere in the standard GM MIDI uh, sound at all. You've got tubular bells, but not a handbell sound. So, and, and that's why I use that in this so that it, cause it really brought forth uh, that uh, sound real nice. Okay. So, but uh, there are, there are methods to uh, tweak your sounds to uh, get it to sound close and all that. Yeah. So, so people that don't have that specific synth though should not expect quite the same sound Unless, like you said, they tweak it for their exactly. own specific sense well, settings. Right. If they're running with Ultramuse, they'd have to change the sound patches anyway uh, for if they're using, for the synthesizers that they're using. Because okay. you know, a lot of the, today's synthesizers are general MIDI in that. So, As you can but, see, choir the bells. I moused this in sometime in the past. I think it was maybe... And for those who have not seen before, this is Ultramuse 3 on screen. Ago, maybe. It could have been longer. But I just wanted to share this with you and let you just have the Christmas spirit flow and listen to some tunes. It is really nice sounding. I like that the volume swells yeah. too. Beautiful synth sound. Yeah. yeah. The, the volume swells, what I really, when I first listened to, that really stuck out to me because normally you hear these Christmas carols and they basically everything's at the same volume level, but you actually have like the bells fading at different parts of the song. Yeah. So the graduate fading on the background, which is really nice. And I imagine that takes a bit of extra time to mouse too. Uh, no, not actually not. Uh, with Ultramuse, you just simply say, okay. I, I want to uh, create a crescendo. You know, I want to go from the current volume for this particular instrument on this channel to go from, say, that's set, set at um, OMF, okay, or you know, just it's say it's at 80, but you want to try crescendo up to say like uh, maybe 120. So you say, okay, oh, say from here to here over this time period, and that, and then after that, if you want to have it go go back down, you just do just the opposite. So it's so with ultra music, that's that's up, that's one of the nice features that um, was put into it by Mike is that you can have that expression. Oh, cool! So, so you don't have to like mouse an individual volume; you just tell it crescendo to a certain level. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So you know, and and that's what really makes uh, music sound alive is the fact being able to do things like that. And you know, if yeah, uh, dynamics. Yeah, the, so you got your dynamics, your your tremolo, you know, all your different. Uh, types of effects that uh, you can apply um you know for for ultramuse for what it is it does a lot more than what a lot of people really think yeah most people just get like the basic you, you punch and sheet music and the way you go they don't know about all the fancy fancy yeah, that, that, stuff. yeah that's that's where you get to uh need to see uh you know a little bit of music theory and all that how to read the sheet music and so you can see some of the uh, accents and symbols and all that yeah, and Ultimuse is actually a really, really good program. Like, if it's yeah. it's one of the few things I can honestly say that the OS9 
MIDI software for entering sheet music in particular is better under OS 9 than it is under Disk Basic. Now, MIDI recording, there's some better stuff like Coco MIDI Pro, et cetera. You do, do real-time recording off an actual synthesizer. Yeah, you're yeah, playing no, it live. But yeah. as far as uh, playing goes uh, and, and entering in sheet music, this is actually one of the few cases where uh, an OS 9 program is better than any disk basic alternative. Exactly. So, no, I, I just wanted to put it out there and, uh, you know, share one. You know, I've got a plethora of different types of music out there besides my MIDI box stuff, which is all general MIDI stuff. You know, this is just some of the stuff that I do. Yeah. And the nice thing about this, too, is because these are classic Christmas carols and stuff here, they can't get nailed with copyright strikes. We can actually play them. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, Curtis. <laughs> And then here's the actual download. If you want to get it, it's on the Coco uh, Facebook group, and it's called UME Music with a Z slash Z. <clears throat> and you can copy it over. And as we mentioned before, if you have a synth other than the one that he originally created for, you might want to you know, tweak it a little bit for the bell sound. This one we kind of already covered here. This is the new version of the Nightmare Highway. This is the actual Facebook video version of it, which I don't think is on YouTube yet. Um, I won't recover here because we already talked about it at the beginning of the show, but uh, there it is. Next up is the Infinite Bob's demo that uh, Simon Jonason did, which is kind of a, a bunch of balls. And he did some tricks of, of getting this animation to work really fast. And he actually uploaded the source code here kind of explaining how it's done so that people can take a look at it. Jonas uh, uh, Vanden in particular was asking about it. And here's the actual demo itself. So it's a fairly complex looking animation with a lot of quote unquote sprites, et cetera, but there's, there's definitely some tricks as to how he's doing this, you know, super smooth and super fast. But you guys can look through the source code to figure that out for yourselves. Okay, this one here is actually, uh, the Coco Crew put up a little Christmas uh, music ditty too, and they actually used the GMC cartridge to do it. Um, so this is, um, I can't what the description was. Yeah, it was a VGM file captured, performed on the Game Master cartridge sound hardware, and emulated under XWare, which supports the Game Master cartridge if you're doing development. So I'll play a little bit of that as well. It's got a little bit of that, you know, 8-bit percussion type sounds in it, too. This is a new channel I've not seen before, the Taylor and Amy show. Um, and it's basically a couple of girls that actually do hardware upgrades and stuff on retro hardware. So this was a completely shock to me. And they actually did one where they got a Coco 2, and they upgraded it from 16 to 64K. So I've, I've sent out an invite if they would like to pop in our chat or maybe even pop on the show at some point because we don't get too many females doing hardware upgrades, especially, or retro computing in general. Um, and it's done with a definite sense of humor, as you can tell by this screenshot right here. <laughs> they definitely don't take themselves too seriously, but it's it's a really fun channel. It was very approachable. And they do show you how to upgrade the Coco. They, they show pulling the chips out, putting the chips in. One thing I, was, I found amusing is they didn't figure out that the keyboard, because this is the, the straight Mylar, not the old connector-style keyboard, they didn't realize it could be unplugged, so they were trying to pull the chips out with the keyboard still in the way with the ribbon cable. Um, 
So I left him a message that you actually, you could take that out and uh, fix it up here. Here they show it working as a 16K machine, just in case things went wrong and it didn't work afterwards. I want to prove it did work before. And they get in some of the technical details and talking about the RAM chips and the ROMs. <clears throat> they were mentioning the fact that the, uh, what is it, 24 pin ROMs in the original Cobra 2, which is not something you can get too commonly these days. So people are making adapters. So they are aware of some of that stuff. And at the end of, they have, uh, what did they call it? A uh, rockin' game of math bingo, just to show off that the machine was still working after the 64K RAM upgrade. Um, they still have just Color Basic in it. Um, I did give them some suggestions because they wanted to be able to test 64K. They did the print mem, of course, and that just reports 32K because that's all basic knows how to recognize. Uh, and they had, they had four cartridges they got with this and two Black Beauty joysticks. So the joysticks do work. They played math bingo head to head, and you'll see at the end of the video. Uh, but unfortunately, the other games, which they had stuff like microbes and other things, apparently did not work. Um, so I'm not sure what the problem there is that the cartridge was just, you know, bunged up or maybe the contacts are too dirty. They just need to do the pencil eraser trick to clean the pins. Maybe that was causing a problem or something. I'm not sure. But I definitely am going to keep an eye on this channel in the future because it's 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 rather unique seeing two women host a hardware retro tech type thing. I don't think I've ever seen that before, actually, on YouTube. I mean, we've got a few people like Jerry Ellsworth and others that do some retro stuff here, but uh, it's, 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 it's just fascinating to get somebody involved, uh, especially when you're know, using some Cocoa stuff, you're actually doing that kind of thing. And obviously I'm very jealous that they actually have, you know, technical skills because I don't, I, you know, I wouldn't try to do these upgrades myself. I, I would have wrecked the computer by now. So definitely go check, check it out, leave some comments, uh, give them some encouragement. Did they show any soldering, Curtis? I don't I think this one just required, oh, no, there might have been one wire they might have had to solder. I'm trying to remember. But here you can see they're trying to pull the chips out, but leaving the keyboard plugged in, it's much easier if you just unplug it. <laughs> but I know at first glance, this type of a keyboard looks like that's a permanent attachment to the circuit board, and you don't want to wreck it, right? You don't realize the Mylar just pulls out. This is where I preferred the older D and E boards, the original Coco ones, because it actually had a connector. So you could tell it was meant to be unplugged. Whereas, you know, a person that's not familiar with the Coco may not know that in this case here. Amen. I'm just pulling up the old 64 RAM chips for the upgrade. And then she was talking about here something I think a lot of us have encountered where you take all the screws out of the corners where you can actually see them and then you can't get the case apart because there's that one hidden under the warranty sticker. And her Coco was a virgin one, it didn't have the warranty stick, uh, sticker punctured. So she, as she kind of joked on the show here, she voted the warranty to do this upgrade. And then, of course, they played uh, Math Bingo to, to kind of close close things out. And they mentioned some of the other cartridges that didn't work for some reason. Anyway, I'm going to keep an eye on the channel here. I'm hoping they'll do some more Cocoa content. Uh, they were talking about doing the extended basic upgrade, for example, using one of the modern adapters for a 28 to a 24 pin EEPROM. So I'm hopeful, hopefully, I've, I've put an invitation to have them even come on the show, either just as guests in chat for a bit. See if they want to come on actually as a live guest on the show at some point too. So I'll let you guys know. I just found this this morning, so we'll, we'll find out. Next up, now this is kind of a couple of stories combined into one. Um, so this is the Mister. Now most of us who are familiar with the Mister know that it's a you know there's a ton of cores for various machines, both you know retro computers, retro game systems, etc. Uh, Roger Taylor does an active Coco three. Um, core for it. That's kind of a, well, talking about Patreon and GoFundMe, that's how he, he does that. You, you contribute $5 a month and you get the updates, et cetera. 
and it's fairly long advanced now. It's actually running pretty good. There's now an alternative one, a free one that's coming out, and it's based on some of Gary Becker's original work. Of course, he's the guy who did the Kogo FP, Kogo 3 FPGA. So this is a test of one of the early alpha version of that engine. He's actually calling a level 209 BBS, and then he sends a tweet from there, uh, and he's running Ultima Term, which is a Cocoa 3 only program written by a fellow Canadian, Ken Johnston, originally of Calgary. Um, I won't play the, the whole video here, but I'll just play little bits and pieces here because they're kind of just demoing the fact that the core is somewhat working. It is alpha. It is a bit buggy. There are some things that don't work properly. I know um, on the Amigos, I was actually asked Bo about this if he was still on because a few of them had mentioned it and reading the comments both there and on some of the channels that actually discussed the Mr. Cores, it sounds like this is not quite ready for prime time yet. I wouldn't definitely not make this your daily driver of a Cobra 3 on a Mr. Uh, for that, you'll want Roger Taylor still, but uh, the fact that there's a free alternative coming out and is at the point where I can actually start running this kind of stuff is, is definitely uh, very good. And if Gary Becker obviously knows the machine inside out from doing Cobra 3 FPGA, so if he's helping develop this or at least as the base of it, I think we'll see some pretty good stuff come out of this. So you'll soon have a couple alternatives on the Mister. Uh, the Mister already has a Cocoa One and Two core. Dave Shadoff, that's in our chat, is one of the people actually actively contributing to that in our uh, Discord. Um, and this is the Cocoa Three model now too. So, but you can see he's emulating like a, the terminal hardware here, and he's actually logged into a BBS, and uh, seems to be working pretty good. Next up, we have Color Computer Programming. So he took a bit of a break um, just for Christmas for a couple of weeks. And then he came out with a couple about two weeks ago. And he's kind of on his, he was his New Year's break right now. Uh, but he did two that he added on since the last time we, we talked about his stuff on the show. He does Moving the Spider, how to use Get Put for Beginners. And he does a 30-minute tutorial on that. And then he did a quick little four-minute one here kind of showing a Merry Christmas 2021 uh, for Cocoa 1 and 2. I thought I would show a little bit of that. Hopefully I don't get any stupid commercials. Okay, hi, welcome back. Oh, um, let's forward a bit here to get the results. Uh, I'm probably gonna commercial now, okay. Oh, there's little things like animated Christmas lights on the house and, you know, just a couple of cute things. A guy walks around, et cetera. And this is just using basic. There's no, you know, fancy assembly or anything in here. And I don't know if there, if that's, if his leg is walking or if he's got a hockey stick. I can't quite tell. As a Canadian, that works for me either way, so. Taking a piss. <laughs> Thanks for heightening that up, Nick. Uh, <laughs> I look like. <laughs> really classing up the joint, aren't you? Yeah. The yellow snow? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it, it, it's cool because he's been doing this channel now for you know months now that uh, he's just going kind of going through some of the stuff you can do in basic and learning techniques as he goes himself. And uh, I've you know given him a couple of suggestions of a few things too, from what little I remember from using extended basic because I don't use it that often anymore, but uh, it, it's 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 a good addition to say Stevie's tutorial going through the manuals. There's a few others like Tim Linder started some stuff for assembly, etc. A lot of these tutorials and programming on the Cocoa, and we did have a really good basic. And this this kind of helped and I liked it. Uh, this is one John Linville posted in the MC10 group. So the MC10, um, the original power supply is impossible to get replacements for. Now what he found here, and he actually gives some. Uh, 
links, you know, down in the comments, specifically what you actually have to order from Jamaco, but you can actually get a replacement one. So if you've lost or have a damaged MC10 AC adapter for the power, and this is for the NTSC North American version, obviously not the, you know, the French or UK PAL brace versions. Uh, you actually can just get a current brand new from Jamaco uh, replacement AC adapter that works fine. So any of you that have gotten an MC10 at some grad sale or from eBay that was missing or had a damaged power supply or adapter, I should say, you can actually pick up a replacement brand new from Jamaco and it works fine. Yeah, so and I'll, I'll speak for this. I, I have one. I've had one for a couple of years. Works really well. I actually bought it. To, the Jamaco got it through uh, Amazon. Oh, okay. So they sell their stuff on Amazon also. But yeah, it's, it's cool. Gangbusters. Yeah, because I do remember a few years back, some people had picked up some of these like at you know flea markets and stuff, and they were missing the power supply, and they didn't know if they could ever get it working again without having to custom make some weird thing. And the yeah, fact you could just get something off the shelf. Yeah, I mean, it's 9 volts AC at uh, 1,500 milliamps. Uh, I think the stock one was like 8 DC, uh, AC, but that doesn't seem to matter. Works works really well. That's, that's the one I've been using my MC10 on for as long as I've had it. And I'm assuming that's even with add-on cards like memory upgrades and the MCX and stuff too? Yeah, I've used it with the MCX128 also. Cool. Rocky on the chat's mentioning here, he said the NES power supplies work well too. I didn't know that. I think the issue with that one is, is you have to change the connector. Oh, okay. So it's not a straight plug-in. You gotta. No, it's not. Cause I was going to do that. I'm like, that doesn't fit. I really don't want to have to cut the end off. And so I, I, I got for one of these, so it works well too. And Jameco is also a good place to get Ram for the yeah. Cocoa. Uh, Just out of curiosity, Jason, do you remember roughly what one of these costs in case anybody is needing one? Oh, my goodness. That's a good question. It's been a while. Um, It's it's not super expensive. There's lots of them. No, it's under $20 for certain. I mean, you know, before shipping, I bet, you know, ballpark, but it's not not too bad. Well, and luckily, all the regulation is on the MC10. So all you need is eight or nine volts at plenty of amps and the right positive negative coaxial connector on it and your gold unlike you know some com- like british computers where if you unplug the power supply while the computer was running everything exploded because part of the electronics was in the lump and part of the electronics was in the computer <laughs> right <laughs> it looks like actually he's got the amazon link here so maybe I can yeah it looks like it's that. selling for uh 1331 no. us right now uh before you know shipping or tax or anything so that i think it's even less than i paid for mine originally that's a $17 in Canada. And what's that in Celsius? <laughs> 1698 Canadian. <laughs> yeah, it's a plain stock thing. Cool. Yeah, it's uh works really well. It's I think it's the same. I think it's the exact same one I have here. Yeah, the uh Relia Pro, blah blah blah. Pro. It's a slightly different number, but it's still the same uh same spec. Wait, and since there's all this new software coming out for the MC10 now, if you do have an MC10 that's missing a power supply, you should go get one now because there's a ton of new stuff to play on it. Well, the thing that's interesting is at the time of the MC10, you needed a linear power supply like this, which is a big, heavy, kind of expensive thing to get the current, where nowadays there might be five of these sitting in your junk box of things that weigh a tenth of an ounce that came from China. They can deliver this current just fine. It's it's 
Switching supplies. Wow. But what I was finding, what I was running into when I was looking for a supply was a nine volt AC supply. That's not so hard to find, but the amperage was the issue. I, everything I was oh. finding was didn't provide enough amperage. And this is a what an amp. The one I have here is an amp and a half. Yeah, this or, is what this is too. Yeah, also, Mark so, Siegel mentioned you said you you don't want a supply that can't supply at least fifteen hundred milliamps. You don't want anything lower than that. Right. <laughs> Well, remember when the uh, one amp 12 volt supply was a great big brick with a reset button in the top of it. And, <laughs> and now it's like a, a tiny little, you know. Yeah. So anyway, any of those of you that have MC10s and either have damaged uh, power supplies or, or, or uh, transformer, I should say, the adapter, or are missing one completely because you picked it up at a flea market or whatever, then... Uh, Brand new off the shelf, quarter from Amazon. And then my last story here is just kind of a cool one. Tom Eric Anderson, who's actually, I think he's still in our chat, and he's uh, one of our regular viewers here, uh, managed to pick up a very early a Dragon 32, very early uh, serial number from eBay, getting shipped to him. And I think he's in Norway or something, uh, in mainland Europe anyway. So he's got number 388 of the original run, which is actually one of the earliest ones I think I've seen. The, the sticker for so he's getting a fairly historic dragon 32 one of the first 400 and that is the end of the news and that was awfully short well i did compress some of it like i said i wasn't gonna go through all the gameplay videos and stuff so plus you know today is technically a holiday i wanted to, i can't have everybody dragged in here for the entire new year's day well, except Nick. I'd make Nick stay because it's not a holiday there anymore. I think they're ready to the second, aren't they? Yeah, but who cares about Australia? <laughs> it's not real. Crikey. <laughs> Crikey. Australia getting ahead of themselves is it, again. Is, is that isn't it? Australia just a big prison anyways, if not mistaken, from history? Oh, oh. oh you're, you're stirring the pot again, are you not, Grant? Uh, yeah, I'm stirring it. I'm stirring that's, it. It's no longer a pot. It's now a baby pool, and you're using an oar at this point. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, and the yeah, I did see. I think it was uh, Mark Siegel, yeah, uh, UL uh, rated, which it is UL. At least the one I have here is. Yeah, the one there was it was mentioned. I think too. Yeah, I wonder if the price is any different if you just go directly to Jamco. It's probably, my, my my experience was I think I I looked. Oh, there's a cat, Mark. Oh, yep, there it is. Yeah, uh, cat sighting. Uh, but. Um, when I looked into it with the one I bought, it was actually by the the one I had was Amazon Prime. It was actually more expensive to order through Jim Co. because I think there was a minute there may have been a minimum order, but the shipping was a lot was a lot more. Also, Tom Erica considering the Dragon Thirty Two, there he said, "Yes, he's in Norway. I bought it just for the serial number, so he wanted to get one of the other serial number ones." Okay. Uh, hey, Curtis. See. Yes. I got a correction here. I I thought I was using the uh, bells. I wasn't. I was using a different patch. But uh, for a general MIDI patch 113, the Tinkle Bell mm -hmm. will uh, suffice in replacing that uh, patch. Oh, okay. So, so if anybody downloads the, the disc yeah. you put up, they, oh, you can, yeah. they can it's, just do that for general MIDI. Yeah. I thought I was using that bell song, but I'm not. I think I'm going to have to uh, try it now, now that I found it. <laughs> Might have an update <laughs> next week, folks. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Back to you. Carol so of the Tinkle Bells. Do we have any project updates today? I think Rick. Um, 
Sloopy did, but he's uh, disappeared on us. He is. Is he hanging on? No, no I'm just lurking. Off. Ah, where are you? Oh, he's the green are. screen. Yeah. Okay. Well, Sloopy, you have a have an update then? Sure. Um, you want to put me up there? He lives, man. Okay, here you are. Greetings. Ready for your close-up. No, no. no. That's, that's no. too mean. Don't, don't do that to everyone <laughs> out there. Cruel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. Well, oh, now I know why. Okay. That should be better. No, it's just a minor update. I got a new toy. Um, as you've been seeing that is my coco 3 in uh all full uh, hdmi glory i uh cool. got a uh av um composite to uh, hdmi adapter which uh is a cool new toy and i've got a uh, hdmi capture card coming uh early next week but that's only the uh, minor thing to show. I finally got around to wires. Yeah. Ah, we're falling. <laughs> yeah, I got a Rube Goldberg uh, machine going on for uh, my camera. Now take your Dramamine now, guys. Right. I remember this from the 70s. <laughs> this is what I felt like earlier on New Year's. <laughs> well, here's my Coco 3, which is nothing special in this group. But something seems to be missing. Uh, Transformer for one. Yep. That's what's missing. And you've got a pepper chip. I've got a pepper board installed down here. And obviously you've seen the machine running during the uh, entire show. Yesterday I had it running for a good eight hours. So they seem to be pretty solid. And uh, it's brought my Coco 3 back to life. Cool. The, uh, Transformer. Uh, uh, decided to off itself uh, a couple months ago. I, I see one issue still with your Coco 3, though. What's that? It's only got 120k RAM. Um, and you didn't even notice that it has a Coco 2 uh, keyboard on it? I was going to tell you your arrow keys were in the wrong places. <laughs> Depends yeah. what game you're trying to play. I actually prefer that layout for some. Yeah, basically the... Uh, the uh, Mylar in my uh, keyboard is uh, has issues. And uh, just so that I can use it, I have the Coco 2 keyboard in there. Yep, and, and it works fine. You, you just, you're just you just missing all the control on the two function keys, which BASIC doesn't normally support anyway. So if you're not running OS 9, which does use those keys fairly extensively, then it doesn't really matter. Use OS what? <laughs> uh, unless you need to flip your please, artifact please, colors. Please shoot him now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Never heard of it. OS9. <laughs> and how are you flipping your artifact colors then? I'm not. I flip it. It doesn't flip me. But um, now that's uh, something I'm in the talks with Mr. Dave uh, 6309 about the keyboard. And I've actually got a 512K uh, uh, RAM board on its way to me. It uh, should be here in about uh, three weeks. Cool. That opens up a whole new set of software for you on both operating systems. So Yeah, I actually, I, I do have an actual 512 card. Um, that's um, one of the, uh, I think it's a performance peripherals from back in the day. Okay, yeah. But it's got all the uh, DRAMs in it and et cetera, et cetera. I just haven't put it in here because I haven't really had a need to it. Um, I only just got this, the pepper board in there the other day. So yeah. Cause it was I, basically not functioning basically before that, what you were saying. Right. Yeah. The memory, it was blank. So it doesn't matter if there's 128 K or 512 when it's all zeros. <laughs> I just saw sixties come in guard sees the heretic. I'm totally with him on that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, speaking of sixty. um, I decided to be different from everyone else. And instead of getting the usual uh, suspects uh, 512, I actually ordered it from Kieran himself. So oh, okay, I yeah, because he, he made a few there in that little batch when he was kind of learning how all that stuff worked. Right. So I'll have the only one in North America. <laughs> Aren't you special? Hey, <laughs> the Coco 3 might not be my first, but I'd like to make something special about it. <laughs> so... Hope, hope, excuse me, <clears throat> hopefully in about uh, three weeks as the uh, Sherpa comes across, swims across the uh, Great Pond, I'll have uh, 512K in it. Cool. But, yep, those are my... Uh, uh, that combined with your HDMI thing means you should be able to stream some stuff right off your Coco and with pretty good quality then. Yep, yep. And, uh, and play a lot of the later Coco 3 games that require 512. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a CRT monitor sitting right here, so it's not like this is more for streaming than it is for actual display. So, but the, uh, yeah, it's, the output is not too bad. Um, this one actually has pretty decent output for a Coco 3, so it should all look good. But, um um, other announcement that I have to make is, uh, let's see here. Let's show you the, uh, ugly mug. As, uh, everyone remembers a few weeks back because everyone is just riveted to this show. The, uh, pocket TRS that, uh, I was speaking of. Yeah. I will be, uh, worked out the details and I will be making a run of them if anyone is interested. Um, it's uh, they're going to be uh, $80 plus shipping and uh, it'll be the current revision, not this revision. And uh, unfortunately, due to chip shortages, I'll only have about uh, two to sell until I can get more of a certain type of chip that's being very elusive. Okay. Um, but um, once those chips become uh, un no longer elusive and unfortunately, uh, digit key is showing a. Uh, August of 2022 uh, ship date, I'll be able to uh, ship more. 
Okay. We also have a question so, on YouTube from uh, a person called Truth Seekers says, when will someone make a Cocoa RGB to VJ converter? I'm stuck with composite and it's terrible in any column mode. There's actually been a few in uh, the past. Um, I would give me X does, for example, but it's not for sale yeah. publicly. Yet. I would recommend them to Cocoa Man because he would know that stuff better than I do. I'm, I'm a CRT kind of guy. I thought there was somebody making a board recently um, that was posting on Facebook. Yeah, there was. And I mean, also, uh, Mark Milletta, Cloud9 had made one, uh, which had some Spanish name. I can't remember the name of it now off the top of my head. Yeah. But the, uh, the DV board, the, was it AC? Yeah. There's yeah, the one that, that uses the uh, Pi Zero, I think, and then the uh, add-on board. Yeah. Yeah, oh, right. yeah that's the one that, that um, what's his name from Twit uh, showed us. Yeah, does that one do VGA? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I'm I sure. do believe it does yeah. do VGA. Okay, I know the Gimme X does because it has five different outputs you can choose from on the Gimme X, but the Gimme X isn't commercially available yet due to chip shortages, etc. Like everybody else. Yeah. Best I can do is start the HDMI in this end. So if there's something else, there you go. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, I've got a Recaton or whatever that will translate RGB to VGA, but it's 15 point whatever kilohertz VGA and I can't capture it or anything. I've got a few odd monitors that can display it, but it's not really VGA, even though it's VGA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because most modern VGA monitors, I don't think even run under 31 and a half kilohertz, do they? Right, exactly. And uh, there's a, yeah, there's a few older ones that are about like five, 10 years old that will um easiest way to find them is usually to find find a, a vga monitor that works on an amiga or st and then it'll work on the coco 3 it right. works on those but what i really want is a video capture card for that and i haven't been able to come up with one yeah <laughs> he also says i can't believe i once threw three skim eight coco monitors in the trash i'd kill to have one now that's probably not something to that you should be admitting. <laughs> they have doors on them. Right. Devil's the value. <laughs> Anybody else have any project so. updates or acquisitions? Oh, or yeah. were you what? done, Sloopy? I probably should ask that first. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, I'm done. I, yeah, I, I was done as soon as I asked, what's OS9? <laughs> Darn right, you're done for on that comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see the guys off to my all, just outside of camera view. They're ready. They yep. got some large things that don't look like they yeah. tickle. Big wooden paddles, <laughs> etc. Oh, I thought that was metal. Oh, wood <laughs> is good. <laughs> Rick, Rick, Elon, you said you have a project update. Well, well, yeah, I've been working on the the little web browser thing since I couldn't really work on hardware, and I just have to ask you. Who puts over 200 characters in a link description in the little underlined part of the link? <laughs> I'm going to have to rethink some of my string length assignments and so forth as far as the average web page goes. Of course, then I also went to a couple other sites and found, oh, yeah, PHP with anonymized links. So, yeah, I guess the link really needs to be three, 400 bytes long. <laughs> Well, thankfully, so, you can anyway. do strings large, that large easily in Basic 9. So, well, yeah, you can. It's just okay. Now I've got, I've got uh, links stored all the links on the page into a string array, and you know I've got, um, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 
getting on up there in my data usage here. So anyway, I just thought it was funny because when I'm writing it, you know, I'm just writing along and I'm thinking, yeah, the, the underlying link, uh, yeah, a whole line, 80 characters, that should be plenty. That's good enough for anybody. 80 characters is good enough for anybody. And then a uh, link, you know, yeah, 80 characters, probably pretty good for a link, you know, slash home, whatever. Here's the name of the page. No, you get out in the real world and it's PHP string of characters about three lines long. Well, don't, don't mm-hmm. feel bad. Uh, Bill Gates had the same, uh, uh, encountered the same problem. I mean, who could possibly need more than 640K? Well, exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've still got 12k left. Well, well you got I some guess. other alternatives too. You could you could initialize like a, a little RAM drive and just throw some of those big strings on the RAM drive in like a fixed length file, so you can just grab them when you need them, not take it out of your main memory space. Right, just have right. well, one I, one buffer. I guess the important thing is this is not the program. This is just figuring out what the program should be like. So yeah. it's it's bad basic and it's bad everything, but. I'm learning, okay, I need this block of HTML tags to sort of be in a block of data so I can just scan through it and pick all these off because they're easy to do and they're done. And then I need a string array to hold all of these uh, ta- this table data because I'm going to have to bounce columns wide and narrow and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's working good for that, but, you know, geez, 230 bytes in the underlying string as a table click on linky thing <laughs> it's like three three lines on the coco are the link just click anywhere sort of in the middle third of the screen and you're and you, you haven't even included all those facebook referral tags they add on there too if you're coming from facebook and ads you know question mark equals fb or whatever it is and then a oh, we, we can't even crap. go there <laughs> I, right now the main thing i'm writing is cutting things out you know, colon, colon. Okay, this is CSS. You're gone. <laughs> okay, font tag. Yeah, you're gone. <laughs> yeah, strip it to the bare minimum. <laughs> well, it, speed it up, you know. Delete everything you can first. And then whatever you can't delete, then, you know, process that. Cool. Well, so it's good. That's, that's advancing. I've been kind of trying to monitor a little bit in the, in the Discord server that's been set up for the uh, Ethernet card stuff there but haven't been able to contribute too much because I'm busy with a couple other projects. <laughs> Your time will come, Curtis. Your time will come. Not for a while. I got to well, try to get a, the next version of Nitrous 9 out in time for the May Cocoa Fest too. So I just fixed a bug in G-Show that somebody pointed out. I think it was Strick actually pointed out recently that there's a little bit of a bug in the help command, which I just literally fixed yesterday. So. Don't, don't the uh, upgrades usually come out uh, around Christmas time? Are we running that far behind? I, I would just I've been busy with Petsky and a few other things that I don't normally you know be doing at the same time, so it, that's taken a lot of my time. So COVID are you delays. so are you saying that Nitrous Nine is no longer your top priority? Do you hear this, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm planning on doing a Nitrous Nine version of Petsky. We just have to get the DOS version done first. So. <laughs> but also the fact is that um, there's some other people involved now in different parts of it too. Like Todd Wallace has been doing some stuff. Fed Provence is working on a new control panel system that's actually going to include the entire environment file. So you won't have to run like this little utility to fix the printer and this utility to fix the other. Yeah, Fred. This one to fix the pallets. You know, it's going to be one big master control program like you know, modern operating systems would do, or more modern anyway. So cool. that's being worked on. There's a bunch of stuff, and we basically want to be able to just put this all in there once. I don't want to have to like you know piecemeal like I did a little release at Christmas, and then we're going to add Fred stuff in a month and. 
you know, bills, stuff in two months, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I want to try to get everything that that ship date for the fest. But like a plan. Anybody else have any project updates or acquisitions? What about Nick's game? What's the latest update on that? Uh, nothing new to report at the moment. I've been doing a fair bit. It's coming along pretty good, but yeah. He likes his fancy slicked up presentations ready before he tells anybody what he's coming to. Yeah, I've got to put together the lies properly. Do you think it'll be ready by Coco Fest? Uh, Yeah, when's Coco Fest? Middle of May. uh, Middle of May. May. It might be. It might be, yeah. He likes all his wallabies in a row. (laughs) Yeah. And if not, we'll distract people with a new version of Nitrous 9 so they won't even notice that they're missing your games. Yeah, he's learning from this. He's learning from this show, so he doesn't make the same mistakes. (laughs) Yeah, Fred Fred just mentioned he's working on the new control even as he speaks, so he's working on it literally right now. Hmm. Anybody else have any project updates or acquisitions? I got the uh, new bell sound in. Yeah, play a few seconds. That one. I'll hear what it sounds like. Nice. It it, it played for a second or two, and then it went bye bye. Yeah, the volume went down. It's nice bell. Oh, that does sound a lot better. Yeah, that's the uh, actual uh, bell. Fine. Cool. Yeah. I mean, whatever comment you said at the end there, Brian, we couldn't hear you over the music. So I know <laughs> that's that's the bell sound, and I just realized that in this here, I actually wasn't using the crescendo. I was actually hard coding in all the different um, volumes because you can see like the TP. Ah, you couldn't hear me over there. So, but you know, like uh, it's got the different, you know, PP, MP, F, and, and that those are the diff- the uh, musical very um volume notations and then you can set the the uh what volume it is for each of those uh indicators so so i was actually using that instead of the crescendo and all that which uh i've been using uh, other pieces so anyway I'll yeah that, that, that sounds really good i can see why you made one specifically for that synth yeah yeah it's yeah i, for, I forgot that i switched it back to the other because i because the uh bells was overpowering for the way that I have it written. So, so back to the channel. Now okay. it's Carol of the overpowering bells. <laughs> Any further project updates or acquisitions from anybody else on the panel? Nope. Looks oh. like we're done there. So. I don't think okay. we have anything else planned for the show today, do we? What's uh, we the, didn't uh, have a plan for this show to start with. <laughs> <laughs> there was, I was about to ask. There was a plan? Yeah, the, the only thing we planned for is apparently lots of echo. It's uh, it's kind of like lots of cowbell. Yeah, the, what about our guest? Do we have any yeah. guests coming up next week? I'm, I have to do some confirmations just to make sure people haven't forgot over the holidays because we did get quite a few cancellations in December and postponements and stuff here. So. I did get confirmation on one, the Doug and Kevin Leaney, along with Paul and Tim Thayer. That one is a go, but that's 
several weeks ahead, I think. Um, but I'm, I'm waiting for the confirmation from the person that's actually going to be on next week. So I won't say anything until I'm positive it's actually happening because I made a lot of promises in December that didn't happen. So, But yeah, we've got multiple interviews coming up over the next few weeks. Hey, we're ready for the outro. Push the button, Frank. Yep, hit the button. This concludes another episode of Cobra Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer, MC10, and Dragon systems. For all things Cocoa Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weaver, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Ulin, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! He's like, <laughs> all right, take care, Nick. Bye, Nick. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Got time to play a little. That's all. Might go back, back, play a little. Dungeons and Yeah, it's heckling. But none can hold a candle to the greatest of them all. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Sure, I love my sailor man and Firefall. 
go on a rampage for some super pitfall. Shanghai me into a game of rogue or demon attack. But sooner or later, you know I've got to come back. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. It's got a road. road. And it's got a car. Dodge the furniture, and you'll be, be a pop star. Well, okay, maybe I just stick to the facts. To tell this truth, this game really ain't all that. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Terry, look out! It's a stampede of sofas! I've never seen a herd this big since the Chesterfield Drive of all six! But I hope we can make it to the fest! I used to bow down to the Donkey King. Grabber and Cash Man used to be my thing. Megabug, Buzzard Bait, Sea Dragon 2. But none of those can satisfy me much as you do. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway.